0: Welcome to the Raleigh Bitcoin Meetup Podcast. Uh, Anybody go ahead with the first question.
1: All right. Well, I want to just drop the idea, since we were already (laughs) talking about it, um, uh, of kind of what the regression theorem is. It's the idea that for something to become money, uh, it has to have some, it has to have found a market essentially or found value in some alternative utility. Um, And uh, it's been kind of a crux of the Austrian theory of money for a long time Um, crux is in like most people have accepted it that that's basically true and that's why you know gold became money because we found gold was a great malleable metal it was shiny and had jewelry purposes and all this kind of stuff and then suddenly wow what a great asset for us to just trade and it kind of fell into the role of the most liquid good of money because it happened to have all these characteristics like we didn't you know we didn't have to know that it had those great characteristics of money. It just behaved better in that in that role um and then you know emerged just like a language does. But the idea that I talked about in the podcast episode was that that's to suggest that money cannot be made for money's sake, that you can't design a money to be money um, and that uh, and the argument essentially is that that means that the value is circular, and therefore something cannot have utility because it has value, because it first has to have value to have that. Like 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 peer-to-peer transactions, something has to have value before it's good for, for peer-to-peer transactions. Therefore, it can't gain value because it would be able to exchange value. That's circular.
0: Got it. I think that's pretty much like the Peter Schiff's argument. It that's Peter Schiff's coin. argument, yeah, it it, that a coin. digital
1: thing mm-hmm. cannot become money because it has no alternative utility. It has no, quote-unquote, intrinsic value. Got it. Yeah,
2: Yeah. I, I mean, I think that's interesting. I mean, so stock to flow is not enough, is, is this thesis. Is that just because you have a provably finite thing, you can't start using it as money unless it has a secondary use besides money. Mm-hmm. But I think that's almost it's the, the ideas have been messed up in that for the most part if you choose something to be money, you can make more of it easily, especially if it has no real world use at all. So the idea that you could have something finite and having no real world uses is not is a new technological development
3: It's also I think it's been an argument against fiat or government money right so that's mm-hmm. been the austrians reason for why government money isn't good and so they're kind of applying that same rationale to bitcoin now what, what popped in my head when we were talking about this right before we started recording was if the regression theorem could regress back to information somehow it doesn't make sense with like what you're saying With there needs to be like an alternate use of that information but Bitcoin kind of regresses back to just information. Mm-hmm. Does that make any sense? Maybe not. No. It's just that, an idea I had.
1: I mean, to, to some degree, like, yeah, because the value is in the, the uh, kind of the honesty of that information. Like, like, that's what I think the utility of Bitcoin is, is the fact that you have, like, an unbelievable, like, can't get it anywhere else, anywhere assurance as to the accuracy of the information that you're looking at like that's what it is it's a ledger that essentially can't be faked can't be counterfeited can't be corrupted um so what you have essentially is immutability in a digital space but see i actually think that that circular argument is Hmm. perfectly acceptable like i don't think i think the idea of digital money ever having any value basically throws it out the window because it's kind of like i think it, it it seems silly to me, or it seems Keynesian to me to believe. <laughs> silly or Keynesian? The know, same Same, same word, thing. Same thing. You know, <laughs> it's thesaurus.com. Look it up. Um, <laughs> um, that uh, to say that something cannot have value because of its potential is to say that something must always have consumptive, immediate value to be valuable, whatever. And I think as soon as Bitcoin gained any value for any purpose, it doesn't really matter. It's just kind of arbitrary that that happened because once it, once it had value, now it's an amazing money. And and the conversation is over. So it doesn't matter if it was a collectible. It doesn't matter if it was because, you know, I could use Bitcoin to make a pretty necklace. It doesn't matter why it got value as soon as it had it then now there's a whole different world of possibilities because it's a technology. But to say that it must have value for an actual consumptive reason or like an actual use is to say that we can't see that something could have value in two days even though I can't use it right now. Like it's to say that there's no reason for anyone to become the first person to sign up for a social media. That, that I, can't, I can't start... That's a great analogy. That I can't start a project today that is going to be fruitless for a year and work my butt off for a, the value of something that is potentially in my future like of course we can like like i don't think any of those things that i just used as analogies for the relationship are anything but perfectly reasonable we see future value all the time and potential value all the time so why can't we do that with money so like i think i think the regression theorem is just the fact that money always naturally came about that way because we've never thought about money as, money's always emerged. Mm -hmm. Just like we haven't invented a language from scratch. Well, I mean, you know, authors and you know that kind of crap. But yes, but you know, but like used language always has emerged. Like it would be kind of like saying that language must emerge, you know? Um, So I think we uh, can quote unquote invent money. And I think Bitcoin is proof of that.
3: Does language have some kind of value in that sense? I was thinking about language as a commodity. Mm-hmm. Does language have value? There,
2: there, there definitely was an invented language and it didn't take off and be interesting to study why. It was called like Esperante or something. And I That's know still used. Oh, so yeah. it's still around. It's like I think some of the Bitcoin people kind of know it. Like Amir Taki, I think, was one guy that knew it.
0: I mean, I think to your answer, I think that's a yes. Because if you don't, for if we take the, the English language, for example, if you don't understand the English language, you can't, you know, participate in the economic commerce globally. <laughs> so I think yeah. it, inherently it would have value because nobody would be able to transact with you or understand, like, I want to sell X, Y, and Z for whatever you have. So I think you can make an argument for that.
1: I think... Um I think we have proof that it's valuable, um, uh, that it's incredibly valuable. It's just not something that's scarce in such a way that we can put a price on it. But uh, people get paid entire salaries just teaching it. Like, that's a form of attempting to put a price on something that is just a, a, a learning process. But at the end of that learning process, it's worth paying somebody, you know, $50,000 a year to teach people to get to the end of that learning process because of the incredible efficiency of having a common language among us so that we can do this. And everybody knows what the fuck everybody's talking about. You know? Yeah. I feel like B- Bitcoin, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Bitcoin's it's like, it's a
3: even more extreme form of language in the, in how it accomplishes agreement about understanding about events in history. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, I, I feel like a language is like pretty good at like coming to an agreement with somebody else about, what we mean about what has taken place or what we want or whatever but bitcoin it's like there's absolutely no question at all about the agreement about like the history of transactions so it's like uh, this isn't like a complete thought but there's some kind of like extreme amount of value in that just shared agreement amongst people on opposite sides of the planet.
4: I I think that I I really like your explanation for one simple reason. I think by using the word language, we all think words. Mm -hmm. And I think that by thinking words, we're missing exactly what language does. And that's convey consensus and understanding. And by that measure, Bitcoin is and should be the world's official language. It, it, (laughs) It describes exactly what two parties want perfectly. And there will always be agreements across the board.
1: It's so funny. That is exactly, this, this is exactly what I talked about during the, the commentary of all all day for today's episode. Um, I'm, we're uh, doing sovereignty through mathematics, um, Svon Holmes piece, uh, his, his audio book. He's let me do the whole audio book on the show. Um, so, uh, uh, but I kind of talk about the whole language, like Bitcoin phenomenon. And it's a really fascinating thing when you talk about it, like as sort of a, provable economic history, like, like as money's history, when you're, when you're talking about like a language and you have somebody's written account Mm -hmm. of something, uh, you have their subjective ideas as to how they interpreted it. Mm -hmm. Um, and people always interpret it wrong. People always have incredible bias, you know, so you can never really trust it, but you get some singular perspective of what it might have been. But when you're looking at money, when you see the exchanges they have, it's not just mere words. It's, uh, it's, it's real world trades that they did with skin in the game. So it's like everybody can believe something politically, but how often when they go to the store do they do they buy according to their political views versus what they think is actually going to make their life better type of thing. Um, so like I, I love that idea. I hadn't quite thought about that, but that money is kind of a history where uh, you get people's quote-unquote opinions and thoughts, except that you get them with skin in the game rather than just what they've write, wrote down on a piece of paper. Yeah, I mean, I,
2: I think the argument that gold's value derives from its use as a jewelry has always been dubious. Yeah, It is interesting that I think three-fourths of newly mined gold, so what was mined in 2019, will be turned into jewelry immediately. Which is just something to ponder on is that they that's wait how much say that I think three fourths of like newly mined gold immediately becomes jewelry really which probably means jewelry is like its peak value and then once it melts down it like reaches its real value but it's something to just ponder on why that is but if if it was really just jewelry and use in electronics gold would be worth a tenth if not a hundredth of what it is now it's it's Mm. it's really overstated how important gold is as far as industrial uses.
1: Yeah. I think all of its value is clearly in the monetary premium because the overwhelming majority of it is just sitting in vault. Yeah. Um, so like, it's like saying, like you said, you know, it's like 1% of the value is what's propping up its use as money, which is 99% of its value. You know, like it doesn't, it logically doesn't make sense to me that, you know, that 1% has to be there for the 99% to keep working. Um, uh, but, uh, Uh, It's funny, like, jewelry, um, like, in a number of pieces, like Zabo's pieces or whatever, like, going into, like, the history of money, it always makes me think, like, we kind of think about, like, putting jewelry on and stuff now as, like, that's the use case itself is of the jewelry, but there's a lot of speculation and study and thought going into the fact that putting things around our necks and on our arms was actually a protection mechanism. It wasn't that jewelry was actually the later consequence of needing to put the value you had around your neck because nobody could steal it. Like it was on your person at all times. Um, and then later became a way to flaunt your wealth at other people. So jewelry was actually a consequence of the fact that we had things that we established as money, like glass beads and you know, all of these other things.
2: That makes sense also in that if you're wearing your wealth and someone steals it, the odds are they're not going to melt it down very successfully so it'll be very obvious who in your small community is wearing your necklace yeah like it's clearly not your gold we all remember my diamonds how they were shaped in it yeah
3: Yeah. it was also kind of a way of avoiding uh inheritance taxes right to uh yeah keep your wealth in these um collectible items Mm -hmm. that the government was not taxing that was in the shelling out article too i think right yeah
5: yeah, I really like this discussion about language and mapping it to Bitcoin. Um, another key point is uh, with language it doesn't have to be words. Like we said, language could just be pure actions, like just observing, you know, people what they do. Like you said, skin in the game. That's really important. And the gold aspect, the reason why I think gold is valued, you know, so highly as it is right now, is not only because it's lasted so long, but People went to war for gold for some reason. People need to explain why they went to war for gold, but people literally went to war to attain and obtain gold. So that action alone you know, signals to other people like, hey, this must be a really important resource. Like if we all were going to war for, for seashells, <laughs> as yeah. crazy as it, as it is, yeah, it's very, like, wow, these people yeah. are putting their lives on the line yeah. to get seashells? Okay, let's get some seashells. So my question Mm. is to you guys, Mm. will Bitcoin finally be legitimized once there's a war for Bitcoin?
3: (laughs) (laughs) Let's start it right now.
2: If if Satoshi's coins are in play, I would land on most islands and try to do a mountain invasion of like Tuvalu or wherever. Well,
0: I think think the next success of halvings is going to be very interesting because there will be a war for whatever is left Mm -hmm. as far as mining and just, in general, trying to get one of the $21 million. And I think that's a good point that you make, is that you know, we, we fought, in, in the case of gold, so long for something that we've, it's kind of been reinforced for whatever reason that it has value because we fought and we killed each other for it. Mm-hmm. And because of that, that long history, now people kind of revere the gold as you know, being um, the standard. And even though, like you just said, where a vast majority Mm -hmm. of it is, or a a small portion of it is for actual utility, most of it is just the monetary base, Mm -hmm. that they just want to hold it in their vaults, or they want to hold it under their mattress, you know, whatever. So I think that will happen. I don't know when, but I would bet that as the halvings progress going forward, there will be a fight for it.
3: Yeah. That, that's interesting. Uh, slightly related to that question is um, the money as a symbol of some kind of sacrifice, some kind of like human sacrifice, like you were talking about, like war over gold. Um, also, like the rye stones. <laughs> Like, do you remember that the society that I think it was the Stones, but there yeah, was the like Island of Yap, Yap Islands, the Yaps. Much. Okay, yeah. So there was some ceremony of some people that had to travel a long distance and make like great personal sacrifice to bring this new form of money into that was the, their proof of work. Their, their proof of work, and like limestone so, was on a different island. Right. So, like, the value of the money is somehow associated with some, I maybe mean, sacrifice is too strong of a word, but some kind of like Time human offering kind of. Is offering. It,
1: it is. Yeah. Like, uh, it was literally, I think they like saw it that way as like a yeah. bit of a like, a, like, a pilgrimage almost. Right. Yeah. Um, but it was literally a form of proof of work. What it gained yeah. them was an unforgeable costliness, is you had to prove that you went on this, you took this cost. To, to, to acquire this limestone which is at a very distant land it's not mm. native to our island at all and then brought it all the way back right. and now you, you have held something of value because you proved that you can produce you, you proved your work
3: yeah. That's what you did. maybe yeah. violence is just like another form of proof of work Like it's,
1: uh, it's a way there, to cheat proof there, of work well, there's multiple, multiple it's a way to get somebody of- else to do the work well, yeah, it's kind of the well, ultimate, it's the ultimate no, I mean, form no, of proof I, of work. Yeah, that's what I'm mean.
0: saying. I think I think yeah. it's it is a form of proof of work. Yep. I mean, a lot of you know to this day, a lot of things that are enforced in different countries is the fact that they can come take it from yeah. you or force you to do something. Right. Yeah, and that creates value in of itself. It's You'll proof comply. of
1: it's proof of violence in derivative proof that you can get other people to work.
2: I like that, mm-hmm. but. It, it, it is not, Well, going back to the stones, there was a consensus. Even when they did bring it back, people still – the local community had to agree that this we are going to use this as a new rhinestone. Yes, stone. yes. So yeah. it wasn't just like you could objectively do whatever you wanted. You still had to get community buy-in from the mm-hmm. network when you got
1: Yeah, back. it was still based if, on If you looked at sense. the
4: undermining of that economy, and yeah, it was um, – I think the British came in with ships and were mining uh, limestone and bringing the stone to the island – and that the communities were like, oh, "Oh hell no! You didn't have to work real hard for this. Hey, we're not going to accept that." It was like, and became an issue of fungibility. Cap- Captain Roger Ver showed up. <laughs>
5: <laughs>
1: um, uh, I wanted to say something else about the uh, the like everybody's sacrificed for gold. So, like, holy crap, we see they see it all as like valuable. That's such a fascinating like concept that is so deep to like our nature. Like you see it in chimps as well. Um, there's a fascinating study where they were trying to see how much chimps would look at the alpha versus the other like members of the community, and and this is something that you see almost the exact same results in humans. Um, and they noticed that the most powerful difference that they didn't quite expect was that they didn't look at the alpha so much more they did but not quite so much more as they had expected what they did is they looked at what the alpha looked at they followed the alpha's gaze what does the alpha care about because it's like it's like what does somebody who i think has their shit together or they've studied or learned it's like you see you perceive somebody as higher value or a higher status, you wonder what they're interested in. And so somebody who's got a powerful army or, you know, a a government or whatever, why are they interested in gold?
2: So so it's not an arbitrary status. It is an expertise they were turning to almost. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that's my (laughs)
3: same. I wonder if this uh, conversation about violence is related to how money tends to... um, reduce the amount of violence between countries like if two countries have a good money that they trust then they're less they're more likely to trade with each other and less likely to go to a war with one another i wonder if proof of work kind of can replace that Value through association with violence of wars over gold or something like that.
2: Well, yeah, I was going to bring it back to the proof of work is violence. Is that one nice thing that at least we've tried to do, although it's been incomplete, and our the problems become more worse every year, is that you don't allow money taken through violence to become part of the legitimate monetary system. Like that's what all these agencies that are working on money laundering are trying to do is to prevent evil dictators from invading a neighboring country, stealing their resources and then being able to get away with it. Yeah. And I think it is good to like prevent violence from being a legitimate way to gain wealth. And our, you know, as a world society we try to do that, we obviously excuse it in seemingly random ways like every powerful important country seems to have at least one country they're able to bully around without consequence like Saudi Arabia we know they're despotic but we still let them get away with Yemen uh, you know France probably has somewhere uh, North Africa they mess with consistently that every country seem but overall it's frowned upon and everybody calls each other hypocrites without actually really squashing
3: that's interesting. It, it kind of relates to like, a lot of us think that the basic form of government or like the primary reason for government is to keep people from acquiring wealth through violence, right? Like through property rights, and you're not allowed to acquire wealth through stealing someone else's stuff. And we that's when we want government to step in and kind of like return wealth back to the person to keep wealth from, you know, being accumulated through violence. That's kind of interesting. Like that's
2: because uh... America could easily invade Mexico and steal its wealth if there wasn't a consensus that we're not allowed to do that, and there was money to be taken, and it was cheaper to steal the money than it would would be not to steal the money. Like if it was, if it was a positive business opportunity, we'll spend ten tons of gold, we'll get a hundred tons of gold out. Theoretically, countries would be making that decision all the time.
0: Yeah, the costs, yeah. the hidden costs are very, very high, which is. Okay, you do this, what happens with your reputation in the community? Will they want to trade with you? You know, will they start selling your currency, the dollar, because you decided to invade Mexico and take all their resources? Like there's all these hidden costs that they're doing they're whether they calculate it or not, but it's happening that's preventing them from doing so.
3: You think that so international politics or whatever, do you think that is a big Factor and whether you invade someone is whether what your reputation and the international community and like who's going to trade with you and stuff like that. Yes. Yeah. The, the world yeah. wars were the last uh,
2: wars where people were still trying to just use wars to steal from other people, yes. to steal from other countries. And the laws that came out of that were about preventing that from ever happening again because everyone realized it was a terrible idea to begin with.
0: Yeah, and we, we pretty much went to the extreme of that with World War II of trying to go and just take from everybody. And then in the end, everybody realized this is a terrible idea because we're killing ourselves, nothing has come of this, we've ruined our cities, we've ruined everything. What was the purpose of one country going in and trying to take from another country? So that's part of, there, there's that aspect of mm. you know this avoidance from this all out you know breakdown of an agreement amongst nations of doing things like that, and res- trying to respect other nations' um, sovereignty.
3: Hmm. So, do like do sanctions play a role in that? I mean, would that be an argument to, uh, that economic sanctions are good, or no, or would it be the opposite?
5: Hmm. Well, I know they
0: don't work. So, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> that much I do know. Um,
5: I mean, economic sanctions would be. A form of warfare, more indirect, but I mean it is technically warfare for the modern, the modern age at this time. Yeah,
1: yeah. I can't remember who said it, but somebody said economic sanctions are the first step in war. Like they, you you can't go anywhere from there except escalation. Like it's basically we're having a disagreement, and I pull out a gun. Like that's what that's what it
2: is. Yeah, you've already violently messed up a country's sovereignty. Yeah.
1: It seems just so crazy. That's
3: one of those things that people are going to look back in 100 years or whatever and be like, the U.S. could just decide to cut off the economy of a nation. That's yeah. just so crazy. I
2: complain about it every day, and you sound like a crazy person complaining about it in this times. I'm just telling people of the future that we were standouts. It was not normal to disagree with U.S. sanctions in 2019 at all.
5: But it, it's, it's funny when you guys talked about you know, using war as a way to steal from other countries. I think like World War II era, World War I, like these countries are looking at other countries and saying, hey, they have something that I want. Like literally, there's something I want. Now we still have that, that hasn't changed much. I mean, other than writing down some, some trees and contracts on paper, who's to say that someone can't just start something similar again, you know?
0: I think we're talking maybe more of the classical sense of just physical violence. Right. I, I can agree that the form has changed um, because if you listen to a lot of the stuff that's going on between the US and China, it's technology, it's information, it's all these other different intangible things, but it's still a war that's going on. Right. Like, this country wants to have access to these patents or to know have this know-how, or want to have you know certain people come to their country and help them become a better country, and they fight over those
4: things. So I think there's a really good uh, book written by, or read by R.C. Brack, I never remember authors, but I can always remember the readers for the audiobooks. <laughs> wow. Um, it's strange, um, but it's uh, called Expeditionary Force. It's basically humans discover there's aliens, and this is a true story, actually. Um, and uh, the aliens of uh, uh, client species. So, like, you're a big, bad alien race, and you're like, you know what? I don't want to fight my war. I've got my currency. I've got my technology. I'm going to go have my little species that I've picked up as my little client species go do all my fighting for me. And I see this as a pretty great analogy for what's happening in the Middle East right now, pretty much all over the world. You know, I'm a I'm big, bad country with nukes. I'm going to go in... Influence the economy. I'm going to give technology. I'm going to give money to all these small countries just to like, see who I can get in power there um, And it all comes down to what they're giving them and most times it's either technology or money
5: Yeah. So you mentioned nukes. I mean nukes <laughs> Those are very valuable if you if if you use that um, Example if I have nukes like we we're discussing whoever has Bitcoin if I have his nukes I technically don't have to fight at all. I can fight in different ways. People without nuke, nukes, they have no choice but to either develop nukes or fight unnecessary skirmishes and lose a lot of
4: lives. I'd like the idea of, from now on, referring to bi- spending Bitcoin as using the nuclear nukes. option. <laughs> yeah. um, no, but then people won't spit Bitcoin at uh, the coffee shop that I'm going to start. <laughs> Is that advisable, to spend your Bitcoin at the coffee shop?
3: Yeah, because you have to uh, show people how easy it is to spend. You know, you got, you got a proof of spendability.
4: I, I'm pretty sure that you're going to end up having to charge people rents because as you're waiting for that <laughs> transaction to confirm, you're going to have to sell them another cup of coffee, which you're going to have to cause them to wait for those transactions to confirm, and then you're going to sell another cup of coffee, and it, it's going to get so caffeinated, you're going to have to call the EMS. <laughs> oh, man. Um, zero, uh, zero, zero conf sales.
3: <laughs> yeah. something that popped up in my mind when we were talking about uh, this war and wars like over Bitcoin is how difficult it is to obtain someone's Bitcoin. Like even if one country had a ton of Bitcoin and another country wanted to invade that country to get their Bitcoin, eh, they would have no guarantee that once they got and like took over that city that that Bitcoin would be there. Like what if they just like burn the private keys, you know, and then it's just all gone. Yeah, even like,
2: like if your country is getting invaded, at some point you're like, "Well, I have one of the three private keys. I'm burning mine rather than getting turning it in." And if it's only one other person burns theirs, it's over. You
5: know. The, the counter argument to that, I, I like where you're going though. The counter argument is, if the country does burn their, you know, their coins, that's a deflationary move for the country that invaded.
3: So they. But that the means country, we're all richer, us us that yeah, yeah including the country, yeah, including the invading country,
5: right? So oh, it would make wait, sense wait, for them wait, to, yeah, yeah. to go, and it's, it's it's almost a win-win for them. They go in, they know they have the other country has Bitcoin. They kick the crap out of them. Either they burn it dude, or they send it
3: over.
0: So yeah. in essence, they did steal it. Yeah, because they got the value by burning the coins. That's amazing, <laughs>
3: Just, dude. Bulgaria's got a lot of Bitcoin. Let's <laughs> let's invade them.
2: I think the other thing you would do is you could hide your private keys for a long time like you could maybe build an ark hide the keys inside the ark and give it some sort of religious significance ensuring the ark would never be lost and that we should consider the possibility that the ark of the covenant contains satoshi's private keys
5: yeah or you can do a psychological (laughs) a psychological move where you've been defeated but you have people spread all over the place who are basically saying or pinging the network saying hey these coins aren't burned. They're still around. We can spend yeah. them.
3: <laughs> and they might they might not actually, right? Like the the country that's about to surrender might just be like, "All right, we're going to burn our private keys," but they might not actually do it. Right. From from I the, mean, somebody
2: I know in the movie National Treasure, they wrote something really important on the back of the Declaration of the Independence, knowing that the Declaration of Independence would be a historical document that would never be lost. So this is another good place to write your private keys if you ever get a hold of some very important historical document just Write them on the bottom real quick, they'll probably survive.
4: In invisible ink. Yeah. I don't I I
3: find the idea of a country holding Bitcoin such a difficult custodial problem. Maybe. You
2: you don't want to hold it in the same way that gold got confiscated in a centralized way. Like you really want to spread those coins out. You don't want You them.
3: mean spread the uh the multi signature? Yeah, I mean around. why would
2: you ever need to have more than a thousand bitcoin in one in one wallet? You know? It it's worth your time to spread it out further than that.
3: I was just thinking about how would a country own Bitcoin? Would it be the president that has the private key, and would that? Well, so we can actually
4: unpack that question. This is something I have no idea what the answer is to. Yeah. How does the U.S. government hold its dollars? What do you mean, like how they? How do they hold them? Like, the, like the, you, you get a check from the U.S. Department of Treasury uh, for your tax return. What account did that come from? Do they have a Wells Fargo account? It's at the, <laughs> the, the account is at the Fed. But that's a series of banks.
0: I no, think, no, the, the, the actual Fed itself. Like, the actual, sorry, the actual Fed itself. Like, the government has a bank account at the Federal Reserve. So
4: this is going to sound like a really dumb question, but hopefully by asking a dumb question, I'm going to get to the smart question. But like, what is the Fed? It's a series of banks.
0: So really it's the New York Fed because the New York Fed is where all the open market operations occur. So that's where the government technically has their account for one. and So like when the government, so when the government issues debt into the system, um, the banks, you know, would buy, buy that said debt and the government had, gets the, the reserves from the banks they immediately parked those reserves at the bank account at the New York Fed, essentially. Dude,
3: thanks for explaining that. Yeah. Yeah. So hmm. the government has an account at the New York Fed, yes. which is a bank. Which is a bank, which is just, you know, one little Dell laptop computer <laughs> that, and that, 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 like, maintains that, the database. That's who would hold the US government's Bitcoin? Yes. That's it.
0: It's 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 literally the, at an account. And then did they, they get
3: a, a warranty on the Dell laptop from <laughs> Best Buy? The uh, account I, is FDIC yes. insured. Yes, but like by themselves. It's up to isn't it interesting here to here. think about the hardware that holds it's Safu? <laughs> <laughs> it's <laughs> Safu. It's interesting to think about the hardware that holds this database that is the federal government's bank account. Yes. And how there's no way that that hardware is as secure so as the my, Bitcoin my network. My point
4: to bringing no. up why who holds <laughs> no. the U.S. government's right? dollars was to point out that it would likely be the Fed who holds the government's Bitcoin.
0: Yeah, the yeah. Fed. So that's who okay. would... Okay. like. That's where the, I was so going. So, yeah, the so private
4: bank's going to hold the government's money. So theor-
0: well, theoretically, what could happen is the it could be a um, multi-sig amongst the 12 different district banks that you can satisfy some condition of like eight of 12 and you can spend or something like that. Mm-hmm. But the point is, is that the, each of those keys would be sent around different parts of the country. Like I could even see with one that person would be the at each bank.
4: Yeah. Th- that was a centralized place for some guy yeah. to organize a coffee at Steve's coffee shop for those 12 bankers and for them to accidentally disappear. Bitcoin Which, Banking
1: and Trust, Glenwood <laughs> Avenue in Raleigh. What's funny is that, like, the, the security, like, I mean, they would have to do some crazy security measure because you could literally just take all the money of a government and the government would have no, like, they'd have no, like, wh- yeah, what would they do? Um, but what's funny is that, like, right now, like, it doesn't really matter what the security of that laptop is because they have ultimate security. It's just their opinion what their account balance is. Yeah, like that's a great point. Like so, yeah, if somebody steals the laptop. Like, it's like <laughs> your opinion, bro. They're like, like literally, somebody steals the laptop or gets access to the account. Is like, I didn't do this. It's control like, okay, well, let me control it exactly. Well, my, like they have perfect control over it. So it's like, who cares? My know?
2: question is, when they see their bank account balanced at the Fed at their own bank, is that? money actually there or has it been lent out so do they really have some huge liability on the books that they you know that looks like money but it's not
0: so i think kind of a one way to look at this is how the banking system works and i even had to think about it and do a little more research but the banks are so the banks are never constrained on the reserves that they have they they lend before they go find the reserves so a bank will extend- That's why we
3: had that overnight banking crisis, right? That's
0: exactly. Yeah. So really what the Fed is doing is providing the reserves after the fact that the bank already lent all this money. So if it's a 10% reserve requirement, right? That's so absurd. So the banks will say, the banks will go out and they'll say, okay, well, um, I think I'm going to make, you know, 100 you know, billion dollars worth of loans to X, Y, and Z. That means I need to have, you know, $10 billion of reserves on hand, but I only have two. So that's where the whole repo market comes in, where they borrow from each other and say, hey, can I get this $8 billion so I can have it on my books overnight to satisfy the requirements that the Fed, you know, gives to all members of the system. Um, and that's how the price of the interest rates kind of affect each other.
5: So banks are working together to establish reserve, minimum reserve requirements for the Fed?
0: They est- no. So the reserves requirements are set okay. by the Fed. But given their actions through lending, they will determine how much reserves is needed in the system.
4: So the comment earlier is like the, the Feds are going to operate with whatever their opinion is of the moment about how much money they have. I, I think it's it's kind of, kind of sexy and it's kind of fun to joke around. But I think one of the reasons why the government wouldn't give the Fed a whole bunch of Bitcoin is the same reason that some local lawyer I interacted with recently wouldn't take his own client's money that we had to end up holding in trust for that lawyer was because it was only $20,000. Um, and I say only $20,000 because when you... When you practice law, you just see a large amount of money come in and out, and you kind of get used to it. So it's not your money. You don't ever think of it as your money. But that lawyer was like, oh, oh hell no. I don't want to touch that. That's too much risk, right? And I think that if that's the concept that someone has over $20,000 going into an account that they have to justify to the state bar who regulates the license, the same concept that that uh, – the government's going to have with the Fed over Bitcoin, oh, my God, it's too much risk to give these 12 people these keys and figure out some kind of system. Because what if X, Y, and Z happens? If this goes missing, we've got no way to print more. We can't just have an opinion that's different. The, the distributed ledger is going to determine whether that exists or not. And I think it may be too risky for them.
2: Yeah, the Fed would have to buy Bitcoin on the open market. The IRS could get Bitcoin or the Treasury could get Bitcoin through simple taxation. So I don't think you necessarily have to pay dollars. I think you can forfeit assets over. And I think could see people forfeiting Bitcoin rather than doing the extra step of selling their Bitcoin. Because I see that with stocks all the time where people forfeit stock or ownership.
5: So just, I'm going into the stupid question route, but this is the deep economics piece. Um, Obviously countries make their money through, they make their money through uh, uh, us a plethora of ways but you just said taxation how does the the tax the tax money come into play with the federal reserve like is that money that's being used to, to pay them back or is there some other relationship with the fed
0: so say, say that one more time so sorry. that the money
5: that's gained by the united states through taxation mm-hmm. how does that come into play with the federal reserve is that money that's used to pay back the loans to the federal reserve or is that just
2: something else. Is it buying
5: keynotes? Is that
0: where the IRS's money goes next? So no, the money. So the money that they get from the res, from the everyday from the everyday person, um, they're spending it based on, you know, whatever discretionary budget that they have. Now, when they run deficits, in order to account for that, what they're doing is they're issuing the debt itself. And then through the issuance of debt, they're creating, they're they're creating new reserves because the banks have to buy those the debt from um, they have to buy the debt from the government, which then they put it on the books at the Fed. But if their reserves are now down relative to the loans that they've put out into the system, then the Fed can then go behind the banks, buy the debt that they just bought from the government, and issue more reserves into the system. Oh man. So the, yeah.
3: the the Fed, the banks would keep that as an asset yes. on their books, the debt that they bought from the government.
0: Yes, it's, it is an asset. Um, okay. It's not a reserve, so that's the difference. Right. The reserve, they get directly from the Fed itself. Mm. And so that was the key difference is that the banks, what they were doing is, what they do to get more reserves, they can enter in some sort of repurchase agreement with the Fed where they say, hey— um, I'm gonna post this collateral. this is AAA government bonds and in return, you're gonna give me you know a hundred you know a hundred dollars worth of reserves that matches or is maybe a haircut of the collateral that I'm posting. and then after a period of time we'll go we'll we'll reverse that trade. So I'll get my collateral back and you get your reserves back. But in essence, what the Fed is now doing is just they're just buying, those reserves and the, uh, the the treasury bonds instead holding it on their balance sheet and indefinitely increasing the amount of reserves in this system because of the amount because of the fact that the banks are just strapped for reserves altogether they lent too much out whether they lent it to um, each other or they lent it to other institutions who needed it like hedge funds and private equity funds okay. that are doing all these deals for whatever reason it is they are strapped for cash and they can't meet the reserve requirements so they need to get more reserves
1: isn't that kind of like a self-fulfilling thing because when they when they meet reserves to loan out a whole lot of extra money yeah. what they're essentially doing is inflating the supply and betting that enough of that will be redeposited back into their bank to pay back the overnight loan like to some degree like since since it, inflates overall in the banking system. Mm-hmm. Like even if it gets deposited to other banks, well yes. then, then it's reserved for them to loan out more, which just increases the supply of money, which means that they'll likely get back enough in their bank to pay off the reserve, even though the reserve was never there to begin with.
0: So I think they're not necessarily concerned this is from the Fed's perspective?
1: I am meaning yeah, from the Fed's perspective is it like well no, the the bank's perspective that has to pay back the overnight loan. Like, isn't it kind of like as long as they loan out enough that it's likely that the money will come back into their banking system because like into like their bank accounts in order to pay back the overnight loan because they're inventing a higher amount of money than their reserve, right?
0: Yes. But the the reserve aspect, the Fed is going to supply the amount of reserves that they need. Mm-hmm. So for them, the banks are really more worried about profitability or whatever they can get. Of whatever the loan is. Yeah, the the, the whole purpose of the rate itself is just to try and have, for the Fed to have control of the the Mm -hmm. money supply. Mm -hmm. The reality is what we saw the past couple months is that when things get bad and the interest rates really begin to shoot up because there's not enough reserves in the system, the Fed will always supply whatever reserves that they need. In order to meet their books, Okay. so the banks really care about meeting those reserve requirements, and then uh, b- based on the loans that they've made, if they can't meet them from you know borrowing from each other, the Fed will always step in. Gotcha.
1: I, now I don't know. I, I kind of miss a lot of the conversation, but have you been? Have you talked about the? Sixty billion dollars. Yeah,
0: so that's pretty much where it came from. Okay. okay.
1: So yeah, we, c- can you give the overview of that that's sixty billion dollars per month? To it, yeah. Yes. So yes, and that's more than QE two, right? Yes. That was fifty billion dollars a month. I thought. Yes. Yeah. I think,
0: yes. So what what's happening is that um, the level of reserves in the system has dropped to pretty much like a critically low level. Mm-hmm. So banks have been um, extending loans to institutions. Um, in the average everyday people and what happened is they need to keep a certain amount of reserves on their books. So let's say it's 10% of whatever they've loaned out. What happened is, is they, they extended this amount of credit and they extend the credit beforehand. So they will, they, banks literally can give anybody in here a loan if they think you're profitable and that you will pay back. They'll do it and then they'll go out and find the reserves to back those up. So, the banks have been doing is dues- extending that credit mm. to all these, let's say, institutions, um, whether it's, you know, uh, like they needed to build a new building or they need to pay taxes or whatever. They're extending this credit and then they were counting on using the Fed funds rate to find ample reserves to satisfy the 10% requirement. But what they were finding out. Is Instead of 10% they had 6% they had 7% they had 8% So they really began to beg from these other banks like dear God, please give us some reserves I'll chart like I know the rate is saying it's you know 2% 5% 6% 7% and that's what was causing it in the market and it was causing a squeeze on the ability to find reserves and people got worried because that's kind of what happened. It, it, there's broader ramifications when that happens because it makes all, everything that derives from the Fed funds rate infinitely more expensive on a short-term basis. So people began to worry because that's what happened in 2008 is that banks got squeezed. They didn't have enough reserves in the systems or people weren't lending, so the Fed came out and did QE and all of those things. But um, the, so before, the Fed was like, okay, well, we'll just do repo. We'll, we'll inject the system with cash, reserves, so you, can satisfy, so you can satisfy the requirements in the system. And then after a period of time, let's say two weeks or a month, we'll swap back. So we'll, we'll, you'll post your collateral. We'll give you cash or reserves. It'll fulfill your requirement. You can continue to lend who you need to lend to. In two weeks, we will agree to swap back and you'll take back your collateral, and I take back the reserves that I gave you, and that way the system doesn't increase the amount of reserves in the system. But it's so bad right now that they are constantly had to enter into the market that instead the Fed is, instead of making it a short-term thing, they're saying, okay, we are just going to buy any collateral, and for whatever period of time indefinitely, we're just going to hold this collateral in our books – and the reserves will be out there to satisfy, and you can go out and continue to lend and do business.
3: So they're just gonna like adjust to, to that, and then that's gonna be the new baseline, right? I mean, like...
0: Yes, it, it is. Um, it, it's a lot of it is just influenced by the demand, so if people really want a lot of credit, or want, want to take out a lot of loans, then the bankers, the banks are going to increase uh, the credit that they're willing to extend which then like you said by product They need to have more reserves to back up those loans that they've been extending.
5: What's an example of collateral?
0: treasuries government bonds
5: Bitcoin, I mean that's still imaginary to me. What's what's the base behind it?
0: So it the base behind it is that the government uh, the federal government their treasuries are it, It's the most liquid asset on the planet. It's the deepest asset on the planet it's, a, it's an asset that everybody wants to hold in times of fear, in times of uncertainty. It's an asset that you can you, you can take that and go purchase goods anywhere on the planet because not only will the Fed buy it from you, but if, if you were a bank and you wanted to get access to another country's currency and to invest in that country, you can say, hey, I have treasury bills over here they are claims that from the U.S. government that they have to pay you back. I want access to your currency; you'll get it. So, as far as asset out there, it's the deepest and it's the the strongest um, globally. And so, because of that, banks use the government securities as prime collateral in order to get those excess reserves. And
5: government securities, you mean like military or something else?
0: It's going to be treasuries. It'll, it'll include some um, government-sponsored entities, so like, um, like F- Freddie Mac, Fannie Mac, sometimes those like MBS uh, securities as well. But they need, most of the time, if we're just kind of we kind of narrow the view, they're mainly looking at treasuries that the U.S. government has issued via auctions. That's really what they want to hold on their balance sheet. And then they'll know, give you out reserves.
5: Yeah, I, I'm, I'm definitely following you. The thing is, that I'm, I'm just looking at it from that new light where you talked about that alpha male and how the group responds mm-hmm. to the alpha male and its gaze. It, like when I hear this stuff, it's like, am I hearing, am I, t- am I uh, getting to, a, are we getting to a point where people are just talking about, okay, this is the most liquid asset the government said this is the most liquid asset, the U.S. Treasuries. Um, and we're just seeing that as a gaze and saying, yes, that's that's correct, without even really seeing it in practice. But what it
2: sounds like is we concentrate kind of trade on the dollar too much and we should only be paying attention to the tra- T-note because that's the only thing the rest of the world cares about and seemingly invests in.
5: And why does the rest of the world care about T-notes? What makes a T-note? So what's, what's backing the T-note? The, t- the, t- mi- note? the military, right?
0: The, mil- the military and the U.S. economy. So okay. yeah. before... Um, you know, the, Proof of the, violence. Yes. Yeah, so okay, the, US, yeah. the U.S. got to this position by first you know, having one of the strongest economies in turn accumulating a lot of gold and reserves and able to then ensure, like, yes, we are the biggest, we are the strongest, and you should trust us. When they moved off the gold standard, now it's still just a matter of the petrodollar. It's a matter of um, that if you compare the alternatives – Where else are you going to park your assets outside of Bitcoin? Um, You know, where else, as as an institutional looking at this, where are you going to park your assets? You're going to park assets in China, where their economy is not really open. No. Are you going to park your assets in Europe? You don't even know if the euro is going to be around. No. So, what are the other alternatives that that you are guaranteed that you can get your money back? It's the United States, and because of that. It, countries flock to it and other banks hold are willing to hold our debt no matter how much debt we have printed, I mean, you would think at some point there would be a limit, but up until now, they can theoretically continue to issue a steady supply of debt as long as it's not as bad as everybody else.
5: Right. So would, in this case, would Bitcoin be a viable alternative to a T-note then?
0: It would have to get to that point where there's an established market, the market as liquid and as deep as the United States. And that entails having banks moving trillions of dollars worth of Bitcoin on a daily basis. That entails uh, banks outside of the United States willing to accept Bitcoin as collateral and then use it to extend loans. It it entails a whole different mechanism in order to kind of get incorporated into that system. I mean, China is finding it very hard for them to even get incorporated into that reserve currency status because although they have it, only about two to five percent of total reserves on a on a global scale, it's held in, in the in their Chinese bonds and there's a the Chinese currency. If you compare that to the United States. It's about two thirds of all reserves in the planet is, is held in the U.S. dollar.
1: Um, just so I've, I've got it right, because it is a little hard to like kind of picture exactly why it has value and what's being paid back. It's entirely dependent on the dollar denomination, right? Like mm-hmm. the Treasury bond is a it's essentially like a um like an options contract in a sense. Like like it's like a cashier's check that's going to pay you a tiny amount of interest. Yes. Um, and it expires in a explicit amount of time. Yes, yeah, so right? yeah. yeah,
0: so they there's a couple of things what countries are looking at. Not only does the US economy is the largest on the planet, but the government has the ability to tax everybody to get those to get those assets as well. The the US government also happens to sit on one of the, you know, most wealthiest natural reserves on the planet from oil and natural gas and timber, anything you can think of, it can sell those strategic assets. There's and even down to um and I guess kind of going back to the being with the tax, but it's citizens. Like the fact that we have a very highly developed, you know, highly skilled workforce that can create all these goods goods and services. Countries want to have act want to buy those bonds to have claims to those natural resources. And so all that kind of feeds into this you know, positive virtuous cycle of continuing to use the US dollar and to see it valuable, to want to acquire more and hold more, to continue to use it, to whenever you get a chance that there's debt that's being issued, you buy as much as you can.
2: I want to try to connect this to a trend I've been seeing in business at the moment, which is having multiple stakeholders, besides just shareholders in business. Have you guys run into this, that they're trying to expand the definition of what bit, you know major corporations to do? To Don't just think about profit. Don't just think about making your um, shareholders money. Think about all the stakeholders, which include the environment, your local community, your employees, stuff like that. Um, and that's, you know, all fluffy and good possibly if they actually did it, it's mainly, it's almost entirely fluffy and it it has to do with the aggressive corporations at the moment because they have so much free, easy money. But what the United States, unfortunately has stakeholders that are not United States citizens. The United States citizens is kind of a minor stakeholder Mm. from its foundation and until today that our stakeholders are all these other countries that we're doing business with and own a ton of our debt. And part of the agreement that why they're willing to loan us so much money is they know the United States government is willing to throw the citizenry under the bus at least more than any other country on earth, probably. More than China? To pay back their debtors. More than China. China would stay loyal to their people above they're de- really, they, they well, would because they also have a. Um, there is a racial aspect to it. Chi- being ethnically Chinese means something, so it's easier for them to tell the rest of the world to you know go fuck off. We're not going to pay you back and starve. Mm. Whereas you know, you know, uh, England let Ireland starve. Would the United States let the Midwest starve? Probably yes. So, wow.
5: man, that's that's a great point, and and uh, it's very interesting, that's, that's interesting where you're going exactly. into. But um, do you really think the United States would throw their citizens under the bus?
2: No, They would let their citizens become very poor and hopeless and despondent Wow! and preserve the wealth of the, you know, the top and also get, you know, just let everything get back in order. In some ways, what I think the Great Depression really was, was letting the country starve while the billionaires did not lose their money.
1: Yeah. Yeah. The thing is, is that they have the most to lose. Mm-hmm. Like... Like, China doesn't have the world reserve currency, so if they don't, they have a whole lot less to lose by telling everybody to fuck off, whereas if the U.S. does that, well, then they risk the value of all of their bonds. So it's like, we have to let the depression happen. We have to starve the people because we lose everything. We lose, we lose our house. We lose our jobs. We lose our institutions and our authority. We lose it all because it's all based on the fact that we have the hegemony of the dollar.
0: So. And I also think it's maybe it a little bit simpler, but um, if you look at who dominates the economy today, it's really only, it's like the Pareto rule. It's really only 20% of the population driving, are driving 80% or contributing 80% to the output and then are in turn reaping the, the, the gains via income and wealth of the country. If you look at um, you know who it kind of caters to, it's those who have wealth, and it's for that very reason because they have they are the stakeholders into into the society from their standpoint because they hold the most assets. So their most important thing is to make sure that. They get to keep as much as they would like to, and kind of going back what you kind of said, they're willing to allow other areas of the country that are not economically important to kind of just wither away because the economy is already supported by this small group that are you know well educated, wealthy, are driving the incomes uh, of this country.
5: Yeah, and I think that's a precar- uh, precarious situation for the United States to be in because you know. Psychologically, they're counting on the psychological game to keep them as the number one reserve currency. And if they take a hit with the depression, that's a big signal to the rest of the world that your economy, which big, which uh, your T notes are backed off of, mm-hmm. is not as strong as we thought it was. Right? If you're, if the whole Midwest or Silicon Valley <laughs> was thrown thrown away, right? that's that's a huge loss yeah you know and i think that, that that uh i think some other countries who are stakeholders as in any situation where a stakeholder feels that their their stake is threatened they, they may pull out
0: well i think that I, that i disagree okay. i think i
2: think, I think, think to, makes you more confident yes. like oh, wow well, these guys are ruthless they will back up yeah. my debt
0: so I think it's that, like if you if you take 2008 as a, as an example, when you know something that we caused the housing market implosion, and then we set off this global crisis of banking, people didn't leave the United States. People flocked to treasuries. People flocked to anything U.S. that they can hold on to. You really it's it's hard to break that cycle, which is why the United States. Acts the way it does, and does, and conducts policy the way that it does, because it's very hard to break the mentality that this is safe, this is home, this is where I need to be when shit goes bad. It is very hard to break that. Like countries are trying, and people thought it was going to be the the euro, you know, but you know, they thought the eurozone was going to be it. It's with with the way it's turning out right now, and the experiment not going too well. There's who, who else are you going to put your assets in, you know, in times where there's a lot of financial stress and, and, and instability? Bitcoin. <laughs> Side of Bitcoin. <laughs> yeah. No, you're
5: right. You're right. Yeah. yeah.
1: That's one of the funny things, though, is that um, I've been thinking a lot more recently because we talk about this a lot in Bitcoin, but really never, we really never get into how powerful the shelling point is. And that's what the dollar is. Yeah. It's a shelling point that cannot... It's like... It's like this gravity that you can't get away from because it's self-fulfilling. Yeah. So because it's the shelling point, it's the one, even, even if it causes the crisis, it's the one people flock to to get out of it. Yeah. You what, know? What, like, what
2: is this term you're using, the shelling point?
1: The sure. shelling point, it's a... um. If we had to meet in New York City and... Um, you had no idea where we were going to meet or what time we were going to meet or anything we had no details at all but we were just going to meet on a day where would you say to meet
3: well so it well, be like the okay, the, okay. The, the, I'll, I'll give it, you the, the selling point or something <laughs> yeah it, it's just like the most agreed upon thing like if, if yeah. i don't know you
1: you don't know me like or on this? yeah, I've never tested. Yeah, it. yeah these I've never people, tested it in a while, yeah. but I wanted to see if he would actually give me the the answer That's I'm supposedly sure. the answer. Oh, is it um, time no, it, no, it's Grand Central Station it's at Grand, Grand Central yeah. Station that at twelve sense. o'clock. I've never I've never actually asked <laughs> and seen say, if time, somebody. Time
0: yeah, cause that, that's probably modern.
2: You're gonna keep You're rotating between like yeah. Brooklyn Bridge, Statue and Liberty, and just keep missing each other. At <laughs> that's what'll happen.
1: So that's a bad example of a shelling point, apparently. But, yeah, it's but just – yeah, yeah. it's the one thing that everybody, like, can identify yep. together. When, like, it's the one that everybody when calls When shit on. hits
2: the it's fan like the in Raleigh, we're all meeting up at this location <laughs> with our hardware wallets and coming up with a plan, right? <laughs>
3: yeah, that kind of thing. So the U.S. dollar is kind of like the shelling point of store value or the shelling point of – Global just commerce. Yes, yes. Yeah. Psych- value. psychologically, yeah. you're saying, right? Yeah. And but that's the, what selling point is, is a psychological, psychological. thing. Yeah. yeah.
0: And it's just it's very it's a virtuous cycle because, you know, you have what 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 Bitcoin has to break No, it's a vicious cycle. It's
3: not a virtuous for cycle. For
0: them. For them. For the for the US dollar. Yes. From their from their standpoint. Yes. Oh yeah. 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 It's a virtuous cycle for them. Yeah. Yeah. Virtuous yeah. cycle because okay. it makes them the incumbent and it's hard for you to overthrow them. Okay. In order for you to overthrow yeah. them. You have to get the world to agree to see the currency as a safe haven. Then you have to agree to get everybody to invoice in that safe haven. And then you have to agree for people um, to want to continually borrow and then to go back into that currency if there's a problem. Like, there's a a very strong psychological barrier globally that you have to break. And it seems easy, but it's hard because a lot of countries are like, oh, we'll just, you know – We'll just use our own currency, and then once they st- start trying to do that as far as participate in the in the uh, in global commerce, people don't want to accept their currency. It's like, okay, well, how am I going to trade with you if you don't want to accept this currency? Okay, I'll buy dollars. Okay, well, we'll use this other currency. Okay, we'll do this. Like it's hard to break, and that's the reason why the United States does what it does. And for the foreseeable future, can continue to do what it has been doing which is we we dictate it and you follow because right. what's your alternative
5: yeah and it's almost like the english language what we were talking about earlier like yes. i mean everyone just it's like the, the denominator english yeah. if you go around the country or around the world everyone kind of needs to understand a little bit of english but um i actually want to ask this question um i understand the situation with the U.S. dollar being the shelling point. Now, if there's some folks that might know his, the history more than me, but I'm asking in terms of, let's say like Rome, right? Mm-hmm. Rome was obviously probably in the same situation as the United States. If they controlled trade um, and whatever, I forgot what the currency was for Rome. The dinar. It was it's it's dinar. gold, it was yeah. It dinar? Yeah, that's what it's called. It's like Din- silver or
0: gold. Kind of- Really
5: was was okay. that the shelling point at that time?
0: Yes, it was. I think I think that's pretty good. Yeah. Um, the U.S. is the modern day version of Rome. Back then, Rome. I think I don't know what the percentage was, but it was probably like 20 to 25 percent of in the known world. You know, output flowed through the Roman Empire, mm. and I think that's a very good you know uh, uh, comparison.
5: Right. All All roads lead through Rome. Right. That's yes. That one, one of those terms. So with Rome, the only way that Rome fell was like um, a militaristic way you know, with barbarians, <laughs> it was right? Back to violence. It was, yeah, it was, it violence. was debts? OK, it was please was... explain. Please explain. Um,
1: well, they, they literally just collapsed under their inability to finance. They kept um, devaluing their currency. Mm-hmm. It was actually when um, uh, Rome was, after their currency collapsed and they, they reissued the, I think it was the solidus, if I'm yes. not mistaken? Yes, yes. Um, uh, they re- they minted a new currency. Um, the balance of power, even though Rome for like almost a century, it was like seventy years or something, was still the quote unquote perceived ch- like center of finance for the world. It actually moved to Constantinople, but in theory or on the facade, it still looked like Rome, but. Back when that financial collapse happened and they shifted the currency, it, that, was the, that was when the power left and they just couldn't admit it for 60 years. Is or so.
2: that what's happening with us in China right now? It's like, oh, Probably. we're still in charge <laughs> of the world even though they're building everything. We're still a vital, important role. <laughs> um,
1: Dude, there's a, uh, there's a wonderful like couple of paragraphs of somebody writing about the, uh, like the state of the economy and um, of just like everybody has just um, become totally focused on sex and like short-term um, like consumption and like consumerism and all this stuff, and it's actually a translation of something that was written just before the collapse of Rome. Um, like like yeah. like I like I read like is like, like the three Glad paragraphs stuff. like could not be more yeah. a, more perfect explanation of what's happening right now of just the. The devaluation of everything in society. Everything becomes. They even said that, like, food, like, 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 food network, like, cooking shows, like, that was the thing that happened in Rome too. Is people were just obsessed with food and sex and like everything short-term gratification. Wow. And like, but where and did it,
4: you see this? What is it? I, saw, it? I, I saw this wish, too.
1: I, I wish where I could remember it? off the top of my head. Yeah. I will do some hunting tonight and see mm-hmm. if I can get like a link for y'all. It might have been a podcast. goddamn food network. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> Yeah, I, mean, no, I so, feel like uh, I've read it. I've read need to it on HGTV and this as well. Oh yeah, I think <laughs> I listened to you read it. I <laughs> that's probably what that happened.
4: I <laughs> probably it. read it on the show when <laughs> <and> you <laughs> yeah, listen yeah, That's exactly what happened.
0: <laughs> I, I think I think you know the way that the U.S. could <clears throat> fall out of that position is I don't. Uh, I, it is possible that we can get the classic you know inflation scenario. and The only way the inflation scenario really would be would pan out is if people began to take, you know, the reserves that the Fed has created in this system, pulled it out, and then began to spend it and use it. That's really the, when you would really get an inflation, you know, scenario. Other than other than that, the the reserves are contained in the system. What I think could lead to the uh, a collapse of the United States is the breakdown of the institutions themselves that built and gave trust into using U.S. assets and buying U.S. dollars and all of those different things. So if from the political system to the economic system to if we had, you know, internal social turmoil between, you know, uh, a vast majority of people being impoverished and a small group, you know, obtaining and holding a lot of wealth, and that could cause mistrust amongst other countries, of is it still a good idea to hold the U.S. dollar because, you know, they they are having troubles either, you know, reclaiming um, uh, tax revenue or the, the, the citizens are not as productive or now viable alternatives begin to spring up. That is what I think would lead to, you know, the decline of the United States. Probably kind of similar to how, you know, maybe great britain kind of went away where great britain dominated everything and it was really the wars that bankrupted them but then they all had a lot of instability within their country and that kind of that kind of coincided with the united states rising at the same time to kind of take the mantle away so we haven't had that you know on a on a on a on a country specific basis that where somebody can come and take it away from the united states But if there's a lot of social turmoil and all those different just just the the institutions that hold the United States and the dollar itself up begins to kind of become very shaky or look like it's about to fall. I think that's what would be it.
1: Yeah, I think that was I think that played a major role in like the British Empire um, is like kind of their internal financial and political instability basically was immediately an opportunity for all of their colonies and, like, their empire to start declaring independence. Mm -hmm. And that's what happened, is all of the demand, like, as these, you know, countries and colonies and all these things started declaring independence and standing up, and, like, you know, America in that instance was, like, example number one, look, it works, you know, kind of thing. Um, And uh, then the demand for their currency starts to plummet. The demand for their bonds start to plummet, because it's like you're not even politically... the opponents, quote-unquote, see the opportunity and the political instability internally, and then it becomes externally politically unstable. Um, and you could arguably say we're seeing the same thing right now. This is why we're in so many wars in the Middle East, to keep propping the dollar up and keep as many dollar-friendly regimes as possible. And we've got people, you know, flexing their nuts. They're they're testing out the waters. like maybe China's going to use the wand to trade oil with Russia. Maybe like like we have that kind of thing going on as they see political instability in, internally and i think they're making they're flexing um externally to you know have the same result
2: i think it's most likely going to be social unrest at home it could be spurred on by a natural disaster with with the what's happening with um climate change when when the hurricane hit puerto rico we didn't rebuild puerto rico they just it's just over. It's just rubbleized and they'll rebuild it themselves. And if a similar hurricane like hit Florida and the National Guard doesn't come in and rebuild, they just kind of leave the people to fend for themselves, which could be entirely possible depending on like where the natural disaster hits or one of these huge fires in California. If they just, if the federal government just abandons the people instead of doing what they've, what they've traditionally expected them to do and come and fix things, that could be like really get out of control fast. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And the other thing is like when you're financially leveraged to the hilt, like the it always ends up like looking like a catalyst was, you know, a really bad hurricane or an earthquake or something like that. When the reality is that like we had no reserves to deal with anything as soon as something got out of hand, just like you have like one big catastrophe and this hurricane that should have been really easy to prepare for since everybody was in debt. Nobody had the resources to rebuild
2: or or maybe they could have rebuilt it, but the creditors told them not to, and then the government agreed with the creditors like it could be like just that iffy like we probably should do it, but our creditors will really hate us if we do this because they just want us to you know do austerity. how can we be saving these millionaires' homes that burned down in a fire in California mm. and then you've turned on the millionaires in California and stuff gets out of control very fast
0: yeah, I think. I think, if anything, the government would just become more selective of who they decide to help. Because I don't, I don't see it based on how the system is. I don't see it as, an, as, a, as a resource problem, per se, for the government to help out. It's, is, do, is it important that we help you out? For example, Houston, Texas. Houston, on its own as a city, I think the economy is like the size of Sweden, like that city alone. Mm. The U.S. government was going to rebuild Houston, Texas as fast as possible because it has strategic importance. Now, if it hit an outside area of Houston, maybe two, three hours, four hours away, they'll send some money, but they're not gonna have the same energy to try to rebuild because it's not strategically important.
3: What about Raleigh? We're, we're I, I, think, I think the Deep, the deep South, actually.
1: The Raleigh's D- the Bitcoin center of the world, we're solid. <laughs>
2: The Deep South is a real problem, honestly. Like, it's not a that great economic region outside of a couple of cities. I could see that being and it, like, people didn't have electricity in Puerto Rico for months, maybe extending into a year. Like, our government is willing to make that decision not to bring you know basic electricity and running water back to your house in a timely manner because it's too expensive. They've got other priorities. In Puerto Rico, they did. In New Orleans, oh, you know, a decade ago, they did. So, who knows, you know?
3: Uh, one question that popped up in my mind uh, in this is the race to the bottom for uh, currencies dev- or countries devaluing their currency. <laughs> is this shelling point stuff? I know this is getting back to a little bit before. Is this shelling point stuff related to why the U.S. cannot devalue their currency as much as the other countries can? Is that the same conversation? Do you mean or no?
1: can or that it just doesn't happen? Like, like that it just doesn't happen. Yes, because yeah. they have a, they have a. I mean, think about it. You have, a, a, you know, if you print a hundred dollars and you know there's a thousand dollars worth of economy essentially that's using it. Well, then you only have like a ten percent inflation. You know, just using back of the and yeah. math here. Um, but if you print hundred dollars and you've got a hundred dollar economy, you've doubled your inflation. Like the the breadth of demand for the dollar is so massive yes. that they can just print trillions of dollars, yes. and mm-hmm. it'll be soaked up by China. And if it's not China, it's you know Russia, it's it's yeah. Spain, it's you know like this. The, the demand is everywhere. It's not just the U.S. economy. Venezuela, hardly anybody's using, holding Venezuelan uh, bolivars except Venezuela. So all of their inflation goes right into their economy versus their neighbors and the middle east and china and like all that stuff so so like this
3: new like 60 billion dollars per month or whatever my immediate reaction to that is like oh my god there's gonna be massive inflation and obviously bitcoin price is gonna go up just like everything else is gonna go up how house prices is gonna go up do you guys
1: think the same way well that 60 billion dollars is spread out over you said two-thirds of treasury bonds are so they're buying it. they're
0: buying treasury bonds but the, the reserves themselves they don't come out of the system unless there's a demand for you know the reserves that we have in our our wallets so if that suddenly picks up then the fed has a problem but because a lot of currency or the dollars that we know of today is digital and just demand deposits, that, that we call them, um, they never leave the system. So the Fed has control. The Fed has control and the ability to make sure that there's no inflation in the economy. So, that, I mean, that's pretty much the difference.
3: What's, but, what? but that's, like, depending on how you define inflation, right? Like
0: So inflation as far as, you know, being able to buy you know, food and water and things like that, the basic necessities. But so, house
3: prices, health care, education. That yeah. is a form
0: of inflation, and that's mm. exactly okay. where the reserves are technically going, is they're inflating asset prices. Right. So See, we have an asset price inflation problem. We don't have a real-world inflation problem.
1: Yeah. I
3: don't like distinguishing between those two. I feel like well, it confuses the people to...
0: So the reason, uh, the reason why is, like, if it's a difference is asset price inflation problem you have crises but people can still afford to eat people can still you know function their day to day think of anything that has been impacted right now outside of you being able to you know, buy a house what has has been impacted um on you since the fed has increased the reserves in the system it's nothing the difference is is if that inflation was in the real world economy well now price of bread is 10 10 percent more every day the price of right. milk is 10 percent more every day the price of this that you need to survive is doubling
3: but it, it
1: increases the wealth gap for sure it, yeah. it definitely does no, it definitely it, it causes
0: does. social issues and yeah. social instability that's what it will do
1: it's it's a, it's a way of trying to separate like creating barriers between the market so you can keep the inflation isolated to certain types of markets Um, because you don't want the political instability of making it leak into food and you know gas and like all of these things. It's very important that it stays inflating in prices of assets that rich people are holding because then it just makes the rich people richer and they're happy and nobody else who's buying food and all that stuff realizes and they're just mad that their rent went up and price of education Man. went up and the price of healthcare went so up. So it's like it's the wealth gap
3: that they're just expanding in order to In order to keep it low. Keep in order, order low. to keep it low key. That's crazy. That
0: was if you if you uh, go back to around two thousand nine when Ben Bernanke was sitting in front of the, the I think it was the House Finance Committee. But um, he was giving his testimony. He said the purpose of the Fed buying uh, bonds, doing QE, was to stimulate the economy via the wealth effect. He said if you make the citizens feel wealthier, they are more likely to spend money, they are more likely to, to get credit, and that should help stimulate consumption, investment, and also the, all of those different things. So the Fed was purposely... Doing that in order to send a signal out to say, okay, everything's fine. Go back to normal. Spend, 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 spend.
3: So it just comes back to the trickle down yes. uh, debate again. Yeah.
1: Like yeah, yeah. the way I, all, it, like to me, it literally just seems like a giant fraud in which they're just trying to figure out the most politically non-volatile way to commit it. Like they, like they're brilliantly trying to place the fraud in the places That are the most politically sound places to put it like that's what it is. That's exactly what it is Well,
2: it goes all the way back to Alexander Hamilton and they made a decision that turned out to be brilliant But it's not good for the everyman In that they said if we want our new country to succeed If we tie the America's success directly to the success of its rich people, then we'll succeed because rich people will have an interest in making America succeed mm-hmm. and that's basically what's carried along the whole way is that that you know uh, rich people do well because America does well and as long as they keep you know keep it afloat and keep, they'll keep each other afloat but the best way to tell that the asset inflation of housing in some place like Raleigh is imagine how much it costs to buy a house versus your ability after you bought it to immediately start renting it out At a profit or where it even pays for itself. People aren't willing to pay the rent that would cover the house that you're willing to buy. So you can't even buy the house as an investment. It's just the only way it works. Is just that the house the actual value of the house goes up over time. It can't make money on its own without that happening. Sell you house to just have to push the bubble up forever. You can never get to a point where you just make money off rent. You have to just keep inflating, keep inflating.
0: Well, as of now, they can do it because um, Raleigh, if you compare it to vast majority of other metropolitans in this country, is one of the wealth on the wealthier side. You have a lot of educated, high-income jobs here from tech, biotech, finance, you name it. So if people can't afford to purchase homes to live in, they can at least afford the rent and stay or you know, get roommates. Like it's a situation, the, more, the, more the most extreme version of this is what's going on in San Francisco and New York City where it is damn near impossible to buy a house in San Francisco. Like for somebody who makes 100, $150,000 a year in San Francisco, they qualify for government assistance. Like that's how bad wow. that's how bad it is oh, the oh, housing wow. prices yeah they are qualified wow. like, I think the average rent is like three grand a month
4: wow. yeah my buddy rents a room that is large enough for a queen size bed he's got a sink that hangs over his bed he's got no space and a door that opens outwards that to make it open the other way he pays twenty eight hundred a month Ooh. in San Francisco dude I think and the no bathroom he has to go down the hall and wow. share it with the people on the floor. Oh. Dude, it's wow. insane. Yeah. And he's lucky. That's what he says. He's the luckiest person he knows. Good. The place Lord. Is insane.
1: The, the opposite of, uh, like, the opposite side of the coin you were kind of talking about, how is it, like, they can't charge the rent because of the increasing price of the houses or whatever, um, is that they can, but it's only because the interest rate keeps falling. So okay. if the value of the house, like, you know, goes, doubles, but then your interest rate goes, you know, gets cut in half well, then they can't afford the rent. It's just, again, you've, you've managed to just hide it in the fact that you're charging an interest rate that has nothing to do with the actual resources available.
2: I would just like to point out that classical economics, when it developed in the 1600s or whatever, was all around the fact that landowners were extracting too much rent from actually productive people. So the, essentially the exact same thing happens in San Francisco. The people that own the land and the property in San Francisco are extracting way too much rent from the productive technology workers and yet they do nothing
5: yeah i think i think real estate is obviously always the the loophole and probably the biggest vulnerability with this type of system because i mean the way we've been talking about it's like we're talking about different spectrums of you know i guess painting poverty because the way they're doing it is very strategic where they're saying okay we're having asset inflation, right? But we're performing asset inflation with real estate and other assets, but not like things that a poor person would start to notice like bread. But in and essentially with by widening that widening that wealth gap, we're technically poor. We're still poor. It's just a different spectrum and it's diff- a different paintbrush that's being applied.
0: Yeah, and that's the and that's the genius of it is that you know, you can you can revolt with the fact that you can't afford a house or that things are unaffordable, mm-hmm. but you can still eat. You can still, like, those those prices of your right. basic necessities, mm-hmm. you know, they haven't really increased at the same rate as, you know, you know, housing prices have. And so to you, because you can still go to the supermarket and you can still do the things that you do, everything seems fine. Right. But they've really just taken the inflation that... You know that could have gone into the real economy. They've kind of shut the door, and it just
4: pushed it somewhere else. Right. Food what is the relationship between $100. inflation and interest rates? Is, so is there a direct relationship? Yeah. Um, so the
0: the relationship has to do with the lower the interest rate, the easier it is for you to borrow, and the more you borrow, you kind of extend or extend credit. It pushes the prices of things in which people are trying to purchase. So like housing. Like the fact that now rates are now at 3%, much easier to get a house now if we just exclude the fact that housing prices are going up versus in the 1980s where interest rates were 15 to
4: 20%. Yeah. Yeah. Jeez. Yeah. One of the attorneys oh in our office yeah. had been practicing That's for a while. Crazy. He was telling me that uh, when he bought a house in Michigan, uh, in Detroit in the 80s, he had 17% mortgage. Yeah. It's wow. insanity. It's 375 is like going rates. Yeah. I think that also probably ties into
2: the savings and loan crisis, which was another famous crisis where no one could pay back a 15% loan, obviously. So then all these mortgages went went under and took a bunch of banks with them.
4: So if, if it's really cheap to borrow money now, why are we not using, th- why are we not going and borrowing money to buy hard assets like property? They are. are. That's, That's the exactly market. the prices are as, high. That's the consequence so as bitcoiners why are we not doing that the people are
2: the assets are already inflated so we can jump in it but they're already inflated and bitcoin is deflated you know you should keep holding onto
3: your bitcoin for now i mean the, there's these services like BlockFi and unchained capital which are like allowing us to do that now right use our yeah. bitcoin as collateral and then buy these you know take loans out to buy these other assets i'm curious as to whether that also includes, like, people that want to start a business. like.
4: So, I, you know. so I've been, my wife and I have been looking at houses for, good God, like <laughs> nine months. Like, we've been looking three times a week. I'll Ooh. leave the office. It's, it's a pain. Um, Are they
1: still gone immediately? No, no. I think
4: okay. no. There are houses that are on the market for hundred and twenty, hundred and eighty days. Prices are being wow. dropped across the board. The housing market's not booming like it was. And and I, I didn't tell this to Steve earlier, we we're talking about commercial real estate earlier, uh before we started recording. Commercial real estate's seen that across the board. Commercial real estate's not moving. In this area? Yeah. Wow. So okay. yeah. don't be wrong, I mean there are people that are selling. I'm not saying that's nothing's selling, but it's just not moving like previously you couldn't, at least from a residential perspective, you could put a house in the market and, and be guaranteed under contract in a day. What's is in the luxury
0: market, or is this? It, or I, is this across the I'm board? just
4: I'm just talking about residential. Um, anywhere between three fifty to six fifty oh, wow. houses are staying in the market for an exceptional long period of time, and they and their listing prices are getting lowered and lowered and lowered. People are lowering it four, five, six times before they're getting an offer now.
1: Yeah. that's, been that's new. what we've seen. Like, yeah, yeah I've like seen that in the last three years. months, wow. guaranteed. In the, so, yeah. two, two years ago when we bought our house, we could not, we had no time to actually talk about whether or not we wanted Get the house. Yeah. Um, we, we just had to make an offer if we felt like this was a good option because literally everything was, there, it was gone within 48 hours. Yeah. Everything was gone within forty eight hours.
4: Like I, I look at the at least the realtor.com app four or five times a day. And my wife and I yeah. look in the bed. So much so my three year olds like when I go and sit in her bed and we finish reading books for the night. She's like, Oh, we can look at houses, Daddy, we're gonna get a swimming house. Like it's it's, 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 it's so bad that the three year old recognizes that you're doing it, you got a problem. But I I've noticed a trend that the house is staying in the market for a, while, a long time and uh, great buying pres- opportunity soon well yeah. and I think it is and I think it's slowly coming here if you're seeing sellers um, can't sell the property and they're having to take it off the market to reset how long it's been on there that's a sign of changing times yeah hmm. yeah It'd but, be good, with, good time but to I buy properties this, yeah. this is the point that I'm making if you can if you're not desperate and you are willing to be patient to find the right property and interest rates as low as they are and you have the ability to uh, afford what you're purchasing Buying with interest rates as low as they are and borrowing the money as cheap it is to borrow money, it does make sense if you've got the assets to do it. Mm-hmm. And so, yes. like, while things may have been, infl- in my opinion, I don't think so, think I don't think things have been a- as inflated recently as they've historically been. I think people are being a little more sensical about what they're listing prices of houses for, at least residentially. But yeah, I'd like to point
2: out something that occurred to me recently, but needs to be reemphasized: the current. Stock to flow ratio of Bitcoin is the same as the U.S. dollar, right now. Is it? It is,
3: including this new uh, sixty billion dollar a month thing. Basically,
2: it's close enough. So the fact mm. that Bitcoin's worth as much as it is right now is astounding. It means that if Bitcoin was only trying to have the same inflation rate as other currencies, but be a digital autonomous currency, it's worth you know whatever a hundred billion dollars. Plus, that it is right now, the stock to flow has not kicked in at all yet. It's not kicking in until the next half, until the any coming up. That's when shit's going to hit the fan because for the first time, we've now done a stock to flow that is way less than Fiat.
4: Should hitting the fans it's like a bad thing. Isn't like, isn't that a good thing? When the sprinkles hit the fan when
5: can, the
3: chips hit the fan
2: volatility
5: the Can someone explain the stock to flow ratio thing? I, I see it all the time. I never bothered to understand it fully.
2: So it's it's the ratio that new currency is added to the current supply. So right now, so the ratio um flow is how much is being added to stocks how much is already in circulation. So right now, more dollars are getting added to the total dollar supply at the same rate that Bitcoin are getting added to the Bitcoin supply. But we all know, but can't really economically account for it because there's too too much possibility of failure in the future that that's going to happen. I don't think it's been priced in at all.
3: Are, are you, know? you are you just talking about like the printing of physical dollars, or are you talking about the issuing of credit like via loans and stuff?
2: my my only source for this is the the bitcoin book i'm reading okay the like uh, into money standard, standard bitcoin standard yeah. is that he okay. said it's, we don't actually drop by, drop below it the fiat issuance rate till this next happening
1: uh, just to give you an example because after i'd been reading about it for a long time somebody explained this to me and it was a whole lot easier way to think about it is that like the number for stock to flow like when you get the ratio if it's like 2 what that means is that in 2 years We double the supply. Like so it in 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 one year we create or like let's say um like I don't know, what is it like platinum or something is something like that. It's like really, really low. Um but it's because we mine in two years we would mine the entire current supply of new platinum. Okay, so that
5: wouldn't be
1: Bitcoin. So that would bitcoins Bitcoins is higher. In fact, the highest one right now is gold. Which is around like sixty four, which means Mm -hmm. that to get the current stock of gold that exists, we need to mine gold for sixty four years. That's the inflation at the at the the current at the current rate. At the current 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 rate. rate, At the current rate. Obviously it fluctuates. Yeah. If I remember right. Bitcoins does not. If I remember right. (laughs) Bitcoins is very predictable and set.
2: (laughs) So not this happening, but the one after this is when we line up stock to flow with gold.
1: It's actually in the middle.
2: Okay, yeah. Well, yeah. it's going to be a halfway year because half the year you were printing a lot. The second half, you were printing half as much. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well,
0: pretty much the, the, the 2024 halving, that's 101 at that point. It's it surpassed gold.
1: It's it's What it is is it gets really near gold. It like goes to like 1.87 or 1. 1.9 or something, which is the ratio, and gold's is like 1.6 or mm-hmm. something like that, like just after the halving. But after we create new Bitcoin for... You know, two years past the having, well, then the stock is higher, so our our ratio is oh, yeah. climbing closer and closer to gold as Bitcoin prints more coins because the stock is going up. And it's actually, if I'm not mistaken, it's before the the next having in 2024. We actually match and surpass yep. gold. Then the having happens, and, it and we're 100. twice gold. <laughs> like, so. but
5: but doesn't uh, Bitcoin once we hit the 21 million? What happens to the stock to flow? I mean, it's infinite. Okay. (laughs) So, the reason why people like stock to flow is they can kind of use it as a speculative indicator or something, or?
1: It gives a model where you can actually predict the price. So, people, you know, circle jerk about it. They're like, oh my God, this is the most amazing thing ever.
2: (laughs) (laughs) The, The Austrian economic theory is that. The money that gets chosen over a long enough period of time is the money with the best stock to flow ratio. Mm-hmm. That that is what ends up becoming money. That asset. That's why it was gold and not um, silver or something that was has almost all the same properties as gold. The reason it was gold is the stock to flow ratio, not something intrinsic
3: to gold. I mean, there's got there's got to be some other things like divisibility and yeah, transport and the color. And- <laughs> but uh, no even
2: divisibility like they were using the rye the stones and stuff like theoretically
3: yeah that's you a good
2: divide point. a whole thing up that you can't actually divide but, but something
3: that goes. had the same stock to flow but was more divisible would probably be chosen probably
1: yeah yeah the the thing about divisibility is that like like there's there's a separation between money and payments is that like to be a medium of exchange you need divisibility but technically the asset doesn't need to be quote unquote divisible like like gold like we use paper notes to denominate gold Mm -hmm. so we can get divisibility in gold much easier in the fact that we actually have like notes and coins and stuff like that so there's there's a degree of like the market can actually solve the divisibility a little bit divisibility
2: Um, is a pure technological problem yeah you could sell atoms of gold if we needed to yeah (laughs) you know we could build that tech
3: what about transportability though
2: Again, it's like
1: kind of a market and transport problem. But the issue the issue there always with um uh, gold <laughs> is like because uh, you wouldn't actually transmit the atom of gold, right? You would be like obviously like you would be using a representation of a thing that's a certified atom of gold. I
4: feel like it would be a mole of gold before it was <laughs> a mole. Atom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs>
1: It'd be six point oh two two atoms. Like, well, sat-
2: <laughs> which, what is the proper comparison with the Satoshi? What is the
3: weight of gold? It's probably like a- <laughs>
1: uh, probably pretty decent. Satoshi is only a thousandth of a cent. I think that's so, so
3: interesting because it, with gold, it, it would have to be recognizable. We talked about this, like the verif- verifiability problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it would have to be physically recognizable, like not with a microscope. Right. Right? Because if you have microscopes, yeah, you gotta, then the smallest o- then the smallest amount is... Yeah, yeah I don't know. Do so you know
4: how much, how much crap has been invented to verify coins? To verify but that's your costly, money. right? That's that's
3: an additional but cost. Like the cost of verification affects the transportability.
4: The additional or the cash book goes into this quite a bit, and I thought it was interesting where he goes in, like on a really quick tirade, like listing off the various things that people have done to determine whether the money that they're getting is truly the money. Like the tapped. Have you ever seen like those old school registers that got that marble slab on top? Oh yeah. You know why that's there? I know. Yeah to take a coin and tap it to see if it's fake or not
2: would it just be hollow at that point yeah it makes
4: a different sound if it's made out of not nickel or gold or silver whatever the hell they were using but it's a sound test like we've we have in our society developed a plethora of tests like um, you look at the hundred dollar bill you get the serial numbers you've got The the little dots that are on the bottom right-hand corner so that you can't scan it and your printer will refuse to print it or your Photoshop will refuse to Photoshop it if you scan in a $100 bill because it's like, well, hang on. Firmware says that there's some crap here. We've recognized this in the code. We're not even going to let you. Seriously, if you've got Photoshop, scan in a $100 bill and see if you can edit it. Just try. It will not let you do it a SWAT team at your house. Well, no, it'll just say, you're trying to edit the currency, dumbass, don't do it. It's a SWAT team
1: at Adobe that <laughs> yeah, makes that, it so you yeah. can't do it. It's the guns <laughs> against the
4: engineer's heads that yeah, force them yeah, yeah, to code yeah. that. Like it, This stuff exists in printers as well. Yeah. It, it exists in almost every modern printer with any firmware to stop people from making copies of... I mean, this verifying money is an actual business industry.
2: Yeah, I've heard there's like watermarks on all printed paper pretty much so you can try to trace back if it was used as currency fraud, but maybe that's just a rumor. It's, it's a
0: big, it's a goal. It's a big issue for, because if we go back to what we said, where the Fed is increasing these reserves to keep in the system, but now you have somebody counterfeiting and creating more reserves outside the system that are unaccounted for in the system, then if they're trying to control the inflation to be just asset price inflation, but now it's in real world inflation, then you have a problem.
1: This is still like this all, all this makes me think about is the super dollar. That last JC, week, yes, yeah. Yeah, last so week awesome. we talked about this. I don't know if you like the, what the JC, it was JC brought it up, right? I don't remember. I don't about know. It, Somebody but brought up yeah. something about the super dollar um, and how like it's a counterfeit dollar that's just or it's a hundred dollar bill um, that is just absolutely perfect. And it has, it uses the exact same, like, like they can actually test, there's actually like a way they thread the fibers that they can actually tell it came from like an actual US mint. Mm-hmm. And that it's actually like the fibers are perfect and everything and they found out that what they were doing is, um, uh, that they, they apparently had access to like the ink or something, um, but that they were like acid washing $5 bills and turning them into $100 bills. Oh. Um nice. and like, but what just <laughs> the most Wait, you fascinating say? Idea. It, it, like, this you is say a this is a good use of stock
2: to flow. Counterfeiting a paper currency is a yeah. valid and good use of like, oh, you're just a sheet of paper. I can make a sheet of paper that is identical. <laughs> <laughs> that, that
0: is
3: wow. Some people over here are not surprised to hear that. Does that oh. mean that yeah. they know oh. about
2: this already? Yeah. I'm surprised. Is <laughs> <laughs> it, it bad that I immediately started? Th- I immediately started thinking, how hard would it be to forge a T note if they're pretty much the same as a dollar? Like, does it look pretty much like a certificate of accomplishment you would print off when you do to an online course? Like, T notes? Yeah, are they easier easier to forge and send to you know other countries? Most most
0: I mean, most of them are just electronic now. So I was about to say, yeah, yeah. yeah. they're no long like. You t- technically could get like a certificate that says you're required to get these payments and you can clip off the coupons and receive them but vast majority of you know securities in general like you don't get stock certificates anymore either
2: you actually clip off coupons yeah that's where it came from i i I had no idea where that phrase it always confused me because i knew you clip coupons for groceries but you clip coupons on a treasury note how does that work So it's
0: like you got a sheet you bought the bond you got a sheet of paper and it had like these little Indents that you would cut off and you would send it in, and you go to like the post office or whatever, and you would present it and say, I am entitled to $3 or whatever it is per quarter or whatever, and the post office or whatever would give you $3. But, yeah. but
3: now it's just digital, just stored on yeah, that same Dell laptop at uh, the New York that, Fed. That same one. That same laptop. Yeah. Okay. How old is that laptop? <laughs> but they got a warranty. From they got the, they bet, get the extended. They
2: Best Buy Geek Squad. It, it's got so many warnings. Circuit City guarantee. It's got so many warnings like you must restart. You must install these security updates. You can't keep running Windows ninety eight. <laughs>
1: Do you want to allow?
4: <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah, it's one of the interesting things about the the dollar bill. Talking about the um, washing off the five dollar bill, the one dollar bill to print a hundred dollar bill. Um, if you guys are into audiobooks, there's a really good Jack Reach audiobook where that's the premise of the entire story. Is going there's this group of guys and you go through the the kind of the science of it. It's pretty well done, um, describing the process. But the one dollar bill, the five dollar bill, twenty, fifty, one hundred—they're all the same size. They're all woven the same way yeah, yeah. and and it's it's kind of a design flaw but it's interesting why they also have, they've got to create a currency that's ubiquitous that's easy to identify but also difficult to duplicate mm-hmm. and i think um you guys really need to read that digital cash book i'm glad you recommended it to me <coughs> guy because everything good, about that it? from start to finish yeah. was like holy smokes how did i not know this about bitcoin mm-hmm. um it's a really easy read to get it knocked out in a couple hours
1: there's a there's still a ton of little details that I'm getting okay. that I'm like, oh my god, I didn't know that. And I thought I'd read everything about the cypherpunks and stuff, but this guy did his research. Yeah, yeah. it's incredible. Well, it's called
4: Digital Cash? Yeah, it's for, uh, Brunton. Yeah, Finn, Finn Brunton. Brunton. Yeah. I was going to say Flint.
5: So is this why the government is pushing for more digital cash-based transactions?
4: Uh, yes. Easier to
1: manage? I mean. It's easier
0: to manage. That's that's the... Um, so it's, it's a couple of things. It's easier to manage, but... In the event that the government decided to experiment with negative interest rates, you can't pull your currency out of the system to cause the inflation and that's to affect so the supply. It's so worrisome
3: to think about that. Yeah. Like if they get cash out of the system and then go with
1: negative interest rates, it's like imprisonment. Yeah, that's, 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 that's the reason that like that's why it's so promising to them is because the more they can keep trapped... In the digital, the more they can surveil, the more they can like tax automatically. Like they they own the reins. It's it's use it within the network that we own, and then now interest rate negative interest rates are actually pretty easy, guys. Like we just have to make sure that we don't cause a revolution.
4: I re- what I find really interesting as well is that this is not just the government pushing for moving towards merchant services through Visa, Mastercard, Discovery. It's also businesses that are underpaying employees that are concerned about them stealing cash. You know, you're gonna pay someone. You know, shit. You're gonna not want them to hold cash. I took a photo. I posted it to Telegram, but you know, it was like pretty early in the morning. No one, no one said anything. I was like, screw you guys. It's pretty good, but um, it's a sign at the uh, at the at the garage here. No one was up. Is what it was. it was. off of Salisbury Street by the courthouse. Going to the courthouse, and it's like auto per exit accepts Visa, Discovery, Mastercard, all cash. No 20, no 50, no 100, no coins. Oh uh, yeah. It's like okay, I've that, yeah. I've got a $1, I got a 5, I got a 10. Otherwise I'm bust. Like <laughs> I, how am I going to get out of this place if you don't have a card? It's nuts. Yeah. It's yeah.
0: it's I mean it, it like with the like Venmo services and all those kind of like, you know, merchants uh yeah. not merchants, but those services that facilitate, you know, payment. I mean, it's becoming a part of your life like Think about how for most vast majority of people you go to a restaurant you want to buy something to eat and then they're saying oh our card system is down do you have cash that's like yeah (laughs) it's brutal because most people are just so used to just taking the plastic out and swiping it and being
4: on their way so i mean it won't be a far-fetched do you accept bitcoin (laughs) (laughs) i've started going and asking that at every place i go into If I have to swap my card, I first ask if they accept Bitcoin just to see the reaction and just to gauge what people's like perception of it is. And whether they even know about it. Jared
5: gets walked out by the authorities (laughs) at one of the restaurants.
1: (laughs) This guy's a drug dealer. He told me himself.
4: (laughs) If we do
2: full on deflationary bank accounts, does the actual monetary supply shrink? Because one of the anti Bitcoin arguments is you can't shrink your monetary supply. You can't have a deflationary currency. But isn't that what they're doing after telling us it's not possible?
1: Well, that's what that's what like you're talking about. Like they can't shrink like the dollar monetary supply. I'm mean?
2: saying if they have negative interest rates, that's shrinking the monetary supply, right? Well,
1: no, because the whole point of having the negative interest rate is so that you can loan trillions of dollars into existence. Yeah. <laughs> so,
0: <laughs> like if if the call you think of the the interest rates as the the rate that they're charging the banks to get those reserves. So instead of setting have to pay, you know, two percent. Or on you know borrowing those reserves overnight, let's say you get the interest rate is negative and you get paid to get more reserves that you've already lent out.
1: Oh my goodness. If the yeah. su- if the yeah. supply was static, yeah. you would be right. It would be eliminating mon- monetary supply, but they're inflating the currency for the value of the whole loan to. Lose the two percent.
2: So, so you immediately go from needing ten percent at the end of the day to wanting to have zero percent, so you can get your negative interest rate ten percent loan.
0: So you would be you would be incentivized, theoretically, yes, to extend as much credit as possible at whatever, and then whatever you to whoever. Well, for profitability, that's the only thing they worry about is the profitability to make a profit, but. In theory, let's say everybody else was, everybody out there was a perfect candidate, they would extend as much loans as possible, and then instead in the past, they had to you know, pay 2% to get those excess reserves to match the loans that they've made. They get paid to take on those reserves to meet those requirements to then turn around the next day and extend more loans.
2: So they're almost getting rid of the reserve requirement without officially admitting it. Yes. They just don't want to admit yeah. that they're getting they're rid of the reserve. They're making
0: yeah. it obsolete. Okay. Yeah. So,
5: so how does um, going to a digital cash-based system cause a negative interest rate then?
0: So it's not going into it that causes it. It's that it allows them as a policy tool to do so. So the the, the, the kind of going back to what I said, um, what the Fed has been trying to do is to keep the inflation as asset price inflation in order to create a wealth effect, but they don't want it to leak out into the real economy. The one way that we can affect the actual real economy is by demanding you know, banknotes the actual paper dollars in the system. Those are actually reser- – they're marked as reserves. So when you take money out of a bank, their reserves go down in their system. Versus, if you were to take move money, you know, as a as a, from your checking account to from Wells to Bank of America, all it doesn't change the the, the whole of the system. It just gets credited from one account to another. Did, it doesn't change the makeup
3: of it. Does reserves mean physical cash or it's,
0: It it can be reserves can be redeemed our way as physical cash.
3: Yes.
1: Okay, but it doesn't literally mean physical cash. It doesn't. Back. No, okay. no, it doesn't. The way I, the way I like to think about it, even though it's at like a much bigger scale, is that if you had, if your savings account was charging you one percent a year, mm-hmm. you just take your money out in cash. If you can't take your money out, well, then you pay one percent a year to have your savings. So yeah. what they're doing is they're cutting off the ability to remove your money from the system, so that you can escape the negative one percent interest mm-hmm. and that way if they've banned cash, well then everybody's stuck paying a negative one percent interest, whereas the other way, everybody would just have a run on the banks and all the reserves would vanish.
0: Yeah, all the reserves would vanish and they wouldn't have they wouldn't have a way of tracking like the, the in the system, the money supply. The money supply of the system and who's getting credit, how much credit is being extended, and how much reserves is there in the system. And then they also don't keep track of okay if they're pulling all this money out in reserves they can now they're still going to spend it like anywhere else then that can call all the reserves that we've created as long as that demand has been there to pull it out it can circulate into the real economy and begin to push up prices and your calls your classical inflation
2: it even perversely incentivizes banks to go bankrupt i'll just do an, a, a kind of a crazy example but if you have $250,000 in FDIC insurance on, on $250,000, I'd rather the bank go bankrupt and I'd get that money than have $2,500 less at the end of the year. Like It's, it's just such a messed up yeah. way we're going. And it's also so odd that, that, um, that they're not consulting anybody on whether this is a good plan, that your money would go down in your bank account over the course of a year, and they're just kind of doing it just because they're experts.
3: I kind of have a problem with this term digital cash, like the name of that book and digital currency. I think the general public hears this thing like digital currency or digital cash, and they just think of Bitcoin and digitized U.S. dollars as the same thing. Mm where it's in my mind it's so different because digital us dollars are not scarce digital us dollars can be inflated and can be like you know doubled and like and that's what the public thinks when they hear digital they think something that can be copied and pasted so they're just going to lump together bitcoin into this same thing as digital money and they're just going to be scared of it where it's like it's like the complete opposite is true. It's like Bitcoin is, you know, more scarce than even paper us money. Yeah. It's it, so it's, it's like Bitcoin is like extreme scarcity and digital us dollars are like the opposite of
1: that in a way. Yeah. I wish there was like, I think, I think you're right. That naming things is like really important. Um, and, uh, uh, even as, even as the the name like i i kind of agree with you i don't really like the idea of just like digital cash because it doesn't delineate something that is incredibly different from what we're coming from it seems like such a generic term for something that's so revolutionary like like yeah. it's so different in aspect from the typical quote unquote digital cash yeah.
2: well, i mean digital is that is it called that because it has something to do with binary originally? Does anyone know the, even the origins of the term digital?
3: Uh, yeah, I think so.
1: I think digit like digit one zero. Digit. So
2: we can't get away from that because it is still going to be a binary.
1: Oh well, no, I know. I'm just mean generic in the term that we're just referring to is like oh well, one is cash and the other one is digital cash. One oh, okay, yeah, really yeah. everything everything that we use now is digital. So like. That's not the delineation between what the Bitcoin is and what the U.S. dollar is. And it just seems seems like a very unenlightened term. You know, it just doesn't convey much and kind of makes people dismiss it outright as just something that's ah, it's the same thing we've always had. Just uninteresting.
2: But di- digital say. gold, do you think that works? I mean, it kind of hits, nails it on the head,
1: right? I think it's better.
2: I mean, you are literally mining for this thing that's valuable. Yeah.
1: Internet gold, maybe? (laughs) Okay, just internet
2: gold? That's too much like Reddit, though. Yeah, that's (laughs) true. That's true. Reddit gold, yeah.
3: Yeah, I like like digital gold. Digital gold, that works good. Yeah, that really works good for Bitcoin.
2: Uh, Unobtainium.
5: (laughs) It just doesn't have... I like digital gold, too. It just doesn't have that same... um, So, in the digital space, I think... Initially, when people think digital, it's so young still that the whole dig- just the generic term digital that people don't really take it that seriously. Right. Like, like banks even don't take it that seriously. People, I'm pretty sure banks still have paper records if they could. Um, so when people do talk about Bitcoin as a form of digital cash, they're definitely going to uh, assume and lump it in with digital money, which. You know can get hacked or exactly. create new right. versions of it it's just gonna be a natural first reaction to it no matter what um there's a there's a huge educational gap that needs to be you huge. know filled yeah you know in order for us to overcome that because i mean that's just what it is right now i mean yeah. people don't trust digital to right. still to this day
3: that that's why i like annoyingly kept up kept bringing up the, the dell laptop <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> it is because like yeah you're right like it really matters the hardware and the backup mechanism that the fed is using to actually store these things this really matters like what actual computer are you using yeah. mm-hmm. and like and the difference between whatever their backup system is, and I don't even care if they have, like, 10 backups and they print out paper things at night and like, whatever the hell, that's nowhere near the security of the Bitcoin ledger. Yeah. Like, the Bitcoin ledger is, like, instant backup over, like, probably hundreds of thousands of hard drives, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. every 10 minutes. Yeah. There's, like, yeah, so that... That relates to the what people think in their mind with like digital, you know. Oh, it's like you know flimsy, whatever. You yeah. can lose it, like. But you know, Bitcoin is like it, Bitcoin is more secure than any kind of physical backup you could make.
1: You know, I wonder if that's like a. You know, maybe maybe like you say, Jean, it's like it's like a learning curve part, mm-hmm. like part of learning curve. But like, I wonder if it's like a combination like that and sort of the staying power of like our perception of this and it's you think about it's not really been that long that we've even had anything serious in the digital space like anything like robust or real or concrete in the digital space i mean you think about it digital for two decades has really just meant a toy of some sort like and like we don't We didn't Everything that the digital was was just a representation of the real thing. Whereas we've now we've actually built something digitally hard, like digitally. That's That's perfect. What's What's that? And
3: that's why the baby boomers never really take it seriously. Yeah. Because they don't understand that.
1: that we have invented a way, like that there is now a thing to be digitally impenetrable, whereas digital has always just meant a toy yeah, right. and it's like something that can be easily deleted or easily copied. But like, why didn't that carry over to people's checking accounts on their computers, you know? Because the strength is right? the bank. That's, yeah. that's what it is. It's because they're just calling a person and they're not, again, the, the screen is just a way so that they can see what's really there. They think if, there's if physical you, cash back, back in their checking account. That's somewhere. kind of the idea is literally right. like they have this idea. If you tell people that all money is almost all money is digital now people literally stop and go, oh, wow, yeah, it is. Like, they don't think about that. They've always thought that they're just looking at a screen through a window into something else that's real somewhere. Like, the bank says it's there, so, like, obviously, it's backed by the bank. There's a big vault, and there's a cage, and there's money, and there's gold, and, like, but it's just not... It's not been true for a long time. It's just that we haven't woken up to it.
2: Yeah, I've I've wondered, though it's... I don't know how you could feasibly do it without, like, freaking people out. If we could go to... We need to skip I'm ready. We need to go to young people directly and I, we need to get to them before they're in college. We need if you get to people in high school and middle school nobody really cares about them. They're just pushing them through hoping some of them make it to college. No one's telling them anything interesting. They're just
1: surviving. <laughs> Oh, no, literally
2: you're it's right. true though and, and, you right. uh, I
5: remember surviving
1: yeah. high school high school is a daycare <laughs> yeah. like it's just let's just get that stamp on there and get you guys the hell out of here and by,
2: by the time they're in college they, they're the kings of the world you know everything run, revolves around them they're you know they're beautiful they're intoxicated <laughs> yeah. all the time and everyone still thinks they're awesome yeah. and so you need to hit them in high school that oh, would be oh. the time to like get them on board and like Converse to people that are like prime, prime ground. They were like, oh, we actually get this. Because they have, gri- they've never seen anything before Facebook as far as that type of all-encompassing entire world, social media. And they have never seen anything before Google. You know, Google has been in place and undisplaceable for their entire lifetimes. since the day they were born, I think.
3: Yeah. That's nuts. It's hard. It's hard to think of a comparison. Uh to Google in terms of someone who is just born, you know, so for 20 them years digital
2: is not a bad word and it doesn't feel temporary. It feels as permanent as anything else in their lives. I see what you're saying.
3: Right. Yeah, yeah, but
5: it's interesting, you know, the top companies are basically digital based companies. Even though whatever they settle on is in the physical world, like Google, we can use Google, they settle on influence or advertising, which is influencing people's minds to make decisions and purchasing. But te- technically, they're they're still digital. Now, I, I remember, Wade, you brought this up before. You know, our, if we think digital is a toy, you know, our economy is basically a digital economy at this point, with all the companies that, you know, are at the forefront. China, on the other hand, is kind of digital, but they're mainly backed in a ton of physical assets, which is manufacturing, actual goods they have all that stuff stored so what's what's the the correlation here I mean well actually let me, let me, let me bring big Bitcoin into this if Bitcoin is that first real hardened digital product digital only product what does that mean for other countries who have heavily invested in you know the physical realm like China what does that mean for them now that there's an actual digital product like Bitcoin that can compete with them.
2: I mean, I think it'll eventually, even though it's digital, it'll act exactly like gold would that if you can ever cause the great economic reset where people are using Bitcoin, it'll be easy. It'll be so much better for deciding what economic activity to do, what's working, what's failing, because you'll have no price manipulation. You know, if I mine this mine, I'm going to either make my Bitcoin investment back plus then more or it's not going to happen. It will just be very simple. I think that it, it, eventually it'll be a very good thing. Eventually, I think w- Bitcoin won't, we won't think about its price fluctuation very much. It'll just be a a stability to the entire system, you know, because mm-hmm. you just know what the total supply is and you either get more or you don't. Yeah.
3: If we can do that reset.
1: Yeah.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I, w- one thing that popped up in my mind was this hardness of Bitcoin. It's only hard if people run nodes and it's like diverse and it's like distributed and it's like, there's a ton of people all running the nodes. So there's, there's a weird kind of relationship between people, the social aspect of Bitcoin and like individual people deciding to run nodes and whether we consider it actually scarce, actually a hard asset. It's like, um, it's not just a technological innovation. There's also a social aspect to whether it's actually digitally hard or not.
1: Yeah. Um, I, well one of the fascinating things about that is that like it's a uh, it is it's a technological breakthrough in the sense that it's a technology that Builds a builds a system to organize people around that social structure So what it does is it creates a way to codify a certain social reality That becomes it's like it. It's it's like the network effect except that it makes it amplifies it It puts all of that on steroids. So where like languages tend to have like like stable meanings or whatever Well, it's like, how could we codify that so that the meaning stays absolutely perfect over time? And that's what the technology is. It's a technology that organizes and creates a set of incentives to make the people center around a social shelling point of money. Um, So, like, you're absolutely right. There's a social aspect, and that's what it is. Bitcoin pushes us to settle upon a very explicit social consensus. Um, but, uh, but you're absolutely right. Like without verification, it's nothing.
2: It, yeah. It's right. interesting. The, the lightning network, if everyone runs a lightning network node along with a full node, which we were talking earlier today online about it's, there's now a cell phone to HTC just released that has a full node in it. Yeah. But if that happens, you've almost got back to the original vision of, um, one, one person, one like minor device. Yep. You're yeah. not, you're, I was
3: yeah. thinking about that too. Yeah. You're I, not actually yeah.
2: mining anymore, but you're doing the you're not so you're not profiting from it, but any transaction, you're sending your own transactions
4: through. Yeah. Is it personal how they
3: were yeah. able to do that? This is like a conversation for a
4: whole nother podcast. Yeah, we should, no, but we should I segue really go into that it. like I'm in really my head like kicked puppy. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> I'm gonna have to head out
1: soon. Yeah, well, we're at the right
4: two right. hour, ten minute mark.
3: But, yeah, but people running their own nodes on their phone, is that the future? Like, that's crazy. It does get back to that original one person, one node thing.
2: Well, we can come up with the exact amount of storage space you would theoretically need in 2100 to host a full node. And it's not very much because it goes up at the same rate it's been going. Mm -hmm. So by around like 2030, any cheap piece of storage device should be able to hold the entire blockchain on it. Because they chose not to scale, they chose to just let it become insignificant.
1: (laughs) (laughs) No, what's funny though is that like that's actually one of the most amazing things to me about like the idea to keep the block size um, manageable. Right, right? is that like like people always talk about like oh where what's what in two megabytes like better. It's like, well, what about three megabytes? Isn't that not too much? You know, like this constant subjective argument where outside of the shelling point of one megabyte and backwards compatibility, which technically for like two point three or whatever, but outside of the shelling point of what the system is, there's a million, there's there's an infinite number of other options. So there's nothing else to land on. But what we're worried about is a trend. Is the trend, even if it's micro steps in the wrong direction towards making it more difficult to validate then eventually no matter what we end up with is something that hardly anybody can validate and that's the important part if we're right that validation and proof of digital scarcity is what gives this thing value well then what we have set in stone is a trend toward making it easier and easier with time. As technology gets better, validation becomes faster and we can do it on every possible device everywhere and it becomes the most secure money, more and more secure as time goes on rather than less.
2: It was a time preference decision. We could we had the technology where we could go to a higher block size now. Mm-hmm. Or if we just set our time preference further into the future, every technology device will be able to host a Bitcoin full note yeah. on it as a secondary feature because storage has gotten that cheap. So it turns out we that, well, some people wanted to make this decision, but the collective that didn't quite know where they were doing has headed in a good direction.
1: Yeah,
3: I, I love that this phone, like running a note on your phone thing, it brings the block size debate into people's minds in a practical sense because before when we had this debate... A lot of people were talking about this stuff, but they didn't actually run nodes, mm-hmm. you know, that because they just, I even had a conversation with someone that was like, oh, I've got a satellite connection. And I'm just like, so you can't run a node. It's, and it, you know, it's yeah, like, remember, you remember that? that? Yeah. It's like, and he didn't even click in his mind, but... When we, you know, the idea of running the node on your phone, everyone understands limited resources, limited bandwidth when it comes to their own phone. So it like it, it, you know, makes it tangible for people.
5: Yeah. I mean, uh, not to go into the small versus big debate with the block size, but I mean, the easiest example to use is like the phone. Like that phone probably has at least 250 gigs of storage. Because well, I think the block, the block size, the block 2, chain 60. is like two sixty right now, right? Yeah. So probably around a five hundred range, right? Just to be safe. Now, if we increase the block size by just two percent, yeah, like you need a terabyte, right? And that's just by two percent. Yeah. Wait, if people percent. No, well, time. I mean, times two. I mean, they times, they just, yeah, times two. Times two. That's yeah. what I meant. Yeah, yeah. times two. Sorry. You need a terabyte, yeah, then you need a terabyte of space. But if you um, and if you increase it even higher, like people are talking about, okay, right now it's two, me- it's two, it's two megabytes, megabytes, but megabytes, but people are talking about two, like two terabytes. Yeah. Like you would need like d- like government sponsored data centers to
4: run these. Yeah. things. I bet you they're doing it on SD cards. They could be like solid state. Uh, I, I think flash. it's solid yeah. state yeah. SD card plugging yeah. into it. Yeah. The the they're cheap as SDH,
1: crap. SDXC cards mm-hmm. that you can get now, or you can get a terabyte card. Right. Yeah. Well, the the thing, thing is, the thing is like tiny. The yep. thing is so freaking tiny. It's insane. Well, just
3: put it on your phone. And I, then yeah.
1: Just stick it right on your phone. I
2: immediately thought of: Is this thing smart enough to like only sync when I connect to Wi-Fi, or when I need w- near Wi-Fi, or is it just going to be syncing all the time? Like immediately, like. This
4: totally seems doable. Or I JC. don't doubt that there's probably like a simple saying. JC's setting. probably yeah. hacked their servers. Uh, J- J-
3: JC's listening to this like yelling at his uh, phone right now.
2: JC's
1: got two of these HTC blockchain <laughs> phones already.
2: We need to make having a full blockchain downloaded on your device part of whatever 6G ends up being. So yeah, 5G, we, we, we know what it is. 6G <laughs> is 5G plus a blockchain full node on your device. But we also
4: need to make running a node like a prerequisite to being part of this meetup. Well, so, I, yeah, it's, it's yeah.
3: cool. Like the noted podcast. I think that's cool. It's like this is the podcast for node runners. Yeah, it's yeah, yeah, yeah. cool.
5: I think going back to what you were saying, Wade, um, the syncing is not an issue because even with 3G, I think 3G you get like maybe... Uh, 30, megabyte, 30 megabits actually what, what it's 300 is... 300 meg, let's say a home average home connection is 300 megabits right per second mm-hmm. with like optimum or it's whatever cable internet service you have that's that translates to roughly around you could just say 3 megabytes right with a 2 megabyte block size that's being done let's say roughly every 2 minutes you're getting a new uh, 10 minutes you're getting a new block you're already covered with the with the cell phone under your Wi-Fi.
2: Well, yeah, I just don't have unlimited data everywhere. Like it slows down after a point. Mm-hmm. So what what does it go up to? Like five gigs per month? Basically, you should, yeah. You should still be covered. You think that would sync my phone for an entire month, probably?
5: An yeah, entire I don't month?
1: Think they do. We're, I can't remember. Ex-
5: we're not. Ga- we're not. So, so to, I it's mean, the best high. way to look at it, we're not doing five. Yeah, f- the blockchain is not growing by five gigs a month. Okay. Right. The blockchain is probably growing by like probably half how a gig how many 10-minute
4: increments are there in a month because yeah, that. that's, that's, that's yes It's that's so
5: it, it should be doable with the current technology that we have right now that's accessible to everybody it should be definitely doable that we can have phones literally syncing the blockchain every 10 minutes and not have a problem with it that's nice yeah.
3: uh, part of it is processing power of the well, at least for the initial block download, people yeah. don't realize that that actually has a lot to do with the the processing power and the RAM on the processor. So the initial
5: but, download for the for the with those like this HTC phone, I haven't looked at it, but I know for sure. It's probably gonna take a good two weeks. Just But minimum. why
4: couldn't you just put the, it on a on a SD card?
5: Well that's an advanced user type of thing. We're talking about just every the everyday, like a grandma gets a phone He's like, okay, I'm not using Bitcoin now. <laughs> oh, it's going to come free. Right. Yeah, well, I mean, right. Yeah, it's probably going to come free. they can but I mean, I wouldn't like that. that, that I wouldn't like that either, thing. but yeah, it's going to I mean, gonna, I mean the CASA comes yeah, yeah, preloaded. Yeah, I mean, that's just that's happening. So, yeah. so much.
1: Once you get yeah. past that initial blockchain download, you're good.
5: Yeah. With the current yeah.
1: technology. And you also got to remember, though, that if, like, you can still go back and get the software if you're i mean you're trusting the device and the software anyway but you can also just re-verify the blockchain that has been downloaded and if the accounting and hashes are all accurate you know like microsoft hasn't been mining bitcoin to recreate all these hashes with a fake ledger in secret and you know wasting billions of dollars like obviously so um yeah, like you can still you could still trade it to – or verify it with, you, you know, 99
4: point whatever. What Did you come up with a number?
1: Yeah, so it's uh, 4,320 blocks. So it would be like 4.3 so like gigs, but now with per like SegWit, it actually would never... be close to five. Oh, wow. I thought it was like three, hmm. so like I was off. Um But it would be if closer to like five or blocks. six if they're full blocks. Like because we get – like if you check like a – Block is floor. You just leave it up on your screen like a really weird person like me. Sometimes um, you'll notice that like you know our our larger blocks are like one point five, one point six. On a rare occasion, you'll get like a one point nine or a two, but like average is probably like one point three to four.
2: Could you multiply it out to know where we'll be in like twenty one hundred?
1: Um, in the year twenty one hundred, if it stays it, exactly it, exactly, like, one, what yeah. is it
2: exactly
3: one, exactly one? Um, while he's doing that, I mean, but even if it is five gigabytes per month, if this like. Little thumbnail SD card it has a terabyte on it. That's a thousand. Like in five gigs. years, I, I mean, think
2: it none of we've way surpassed technology where every, this is super easy for every device.
3: I think it's going to be so amazing if the majority of nodes are actually on people's phones in it ten also, years. That's going to be we, so freaking cool, this man. This is something we spoke about. That's years so years ago
4: at the Starbucks. Talking yeah. about how phones are going to be, like your your mechanism for participating in in everything, including Bitcoin, and that is going to like your your phone is going to mine, your phone is going to verify, your phone is going to participate, and it's it could become a mechanism for disincentivizing people from doing other things. Yeah, it's kind of weird how this plays
3: into the whole Lightning Network hot wallet on your phone versus kind of cold hardware storage on your home desktop like there's not really a whole lot of incentive to run a full node on your phone if you're you're considering your full node part of your privacy cold storage solution so you know people would more likely to be running a lightning node on their phone but if they need to run a full node too Running a lightning Um, node, I don't know. I I don't know how that's going. I used to
2: just think they would build the actual Bitcoin hardware wallet into phones, but
1: now they've already jumped
2: past that to building Flon nodes, which is crazy.
1: Yeah, Um, it's interesting because like the other the other big thing with like node hardware is that like like when we're talking about big block sizes, it's, it's it's not just you know do I have the bandwidth. How long does it take me to download this whole thing? Like, there is a massive amount of computation needed to verify, which is directly related to how much data is being verified like in the hash. So there's like a huge computational barrier, too. And I, I did the math a couple times, and if I'm, if I'm not an idiot, I think I did it right. Um, and it's in 100 years, or at 2,100 in 81 years, um, uh, it will be 5.3 terabytes so added that, that's not that's bad totally at all doable. that's, 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 yeah, totally that's totally doable. doable. that's
4: totally totally man that's two years from now
1: yeah that's <laughs> um but you know if even if we get like absolutely full segwit usage and insane batching and everything and we end up pulling three 3.5 megabytes or something out of it you're still looking at you know 10 terabytes hmm you know, maybe twenty terabytes on some extreme conditions on how much we can actually soft fork into an actual capacity increase. Cause you know, maybe we'll come up with something additional later or something. Yeah. But were you,
5: yeah. Were you Were you uh, being serious when you said two years from now or well,
4: why the hell not? I mean like well, no what I'm saying is storage oh, devices would be a able a to r- handle that. A five terabyte S D card? Yeah. Yeah. A yeah, ten that's ter- a,
1: five, no question.
4: Ten yeah. terabytes S D card? I'm gonna put money on the table. Hundred bucks, two years.
1: All right, we need to save like the. That's
4: f- a little early. I need to. <laughs> I need to remind me, I need a remind me tweet on this. <laughs> I love playing this game with this podcast. No one ever takes me up on it. We
3: this. need to save like the full extended discussion of you know full nodes on phone to when JC's here. Yeah. So oh yeah, we we'll yeah. Gonna... Let's
1: revisit this <laughs> on the next round. I mean, how do you I guys?
3: Like how do you guys want to close this up? Uh, go around in last Bitcoin interaction so we've been the last few weeks we've been talking about close it out with like talking about the last bitcoin transaction that you made Mm -hmm. so do that but i kind of want to change that for mine (laughs) because i want to make an announcement about tv shows there's been some awesome bitcoin stuff in tv shows um one is lodge 49 on amc it's a show about some guy that stumbles into some secret lodge, but it turns out in season two, halfway through season to, two, that the secret skull, scrolls of this lodge are all about making Bitcoin. And this happened. Yeah.
4: You know, I've got a conspiracy and, theory. I'm sorry. I know why you don't want to talk about Bitcoin transactions. You you Aren't you dating someone now? You don't want them to know you have Bitcoin?
3: Hey, <laughs> let's not talk about that. Damn it. Not I'm going gonna, there. I'm going right? to have to edit that out.
4: Yeah. Stop.
3: <laughs> And then... Uh, <laughs> damn it, Jared. I'm sorry. The <laughs> gun <laughs> Took it off my Match.com profile, man. Um, is there no one? <laughs> proud Bitcoin
2: owner. <laughs>
3: <laughs> and then uh, the second TV show thing is uh, Mr. Robot Season 4. Is, is that out is, now? Is out yeah. now. Yeah, the first three episodes have been released, and uh, it's awesome. Yeah, Season is it, 4 is really good.
1: Yeah. the last season? It's the last season. It's
3: I, the, season. It's the, the final season,
1: that. yeah. Right. Is that is that worth... Watching no yes. I watched season one. You would love really it. You specifically, it? With, oh, I was I was really into it. But somebody told me not to watch season two, and I was scared. Was oh. it
4: the same thing happened to me? I didn't oh, watch some, season two. Someone to told you. me it was yeah. crap, and I was like, oh, okay, it, nothing's just well, good as good as season, on season one. but It's all good. Fans. It's it's a great yeah. TV yeah. show.
2: Exactly. It's a great yeah. TV show. Yeah, yeah. Still
4: watch
5: season two. Season still
2: still okay. I mean, obviously, when you it's one of these shows where with twists that obviously at some point the twists don't work as hard as they did at the beginning. Yeah, but you still worth watching okay. yeah
4: okay so there's actually a lot of research in movies and literature about how many twists is an optimum number of twists it's uh it's about 13 13 yeah that's a high number yeah it's a high number and it's surprising because it's just diminishing returns before someone's like oh god here we go again mm-hmm. but um so um here's an optimum twist for you N- hodling no spending of any bitcoin recently so nice. <laughs> a little I, I, I twist can, to the tail i have
5: some bitcoin transactions nice. that, that i've made um Mainly for testing, but um, not to shamelessly plug what I'm doing here. But, oh, um, do I, it. it. Where well, else can you? <laughs> show it. So I'm building uh, bitmetrics.io. Um, and basically, what I'm doing with that product is um, developing possibly a leading or lagging indicator. And some of you are familiar with this, but um, using social media to detect the price of Bitcoin.
1: Is it live?
5: No, not oh, yet. Okay. So I'm currently in a testing phase with real Bitcoin, so I've actually submitted real bitcoin
1: <laughs> no yes. i'm
5: i'm I'm testing it out I'm t- i sent real Bitcoin to some exchanges i so I have some skin in the game right now to to test it out but um what you will see are sentiment analysis uh tools on there and also um social media uh activity tools as well to help you. Determine whether you have leading or lagging indicators for Bitcoin or...
1: Indicator.
3: And that's it's right. It's not live yet, but it's going to be bitmetrics.io. Is that right? Bitmetrics.io okay. so nice. it will be what
4: it's called. Can I ask you a really tough question about that project? Mm-hmm. Did you, have you quit your job yet to build that full-time? <laughs> because that is sexy as hell. <laughs> that's the important question that I that's, want to know.
5: That's classified information.
4: Uh, okay. <laughs> Good response. Yeah. Dude, that's I have not
1: here. done any full, like, like on chain Bitcoin transactions lately, but plenty of Bitcoin commitment transactions. Uh, last one was a withdrawal from uh, Tippin and uh, Tippin.me, and then one from, uh, or two, LNTX bot from my bottle, Tippin jar.
4: Yes. That's on Telegram, right?
1: Uh, LNTX bot is yeah. on Telegram,
4: yeah. That's still gone. That crap out. So You still can't figure that out? <laughs> it took me a little I bit done it was like was a little frustrating. Though.
1: I've got some stats waiting for me. No, it's fun. I do the stats for ad stuff all the time.
2: <laughs> um, I haven't actually spent any Bitcoin, but I've been trying to install stuff related to smelting so the project keeps moving forward. Cool. Stay in the chat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh I bought some more Doge at thirty oh. sats. Oh, oh. Doge oh. to the, the Moon out the recording. <laughs>
3: That's a shit coiner in here. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'm strangely okay with that. I don't know why I'm
2: okay with that. You know, for some, it's the only coin I'm fine with, but for, I'm still angry.
1: <laughs> it's the only other ossified coin. Yeah. There's no developers working on this it, yeah. so it's the only one that's not yeah. going to change.
3: I mean, Doge is the like hardcore old school Bitcoiner's favorite shit coin. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's awesome. Yeah,
4: the <laughs> best. All
3: right, anybody else? All right, uh, thanks for listening. We'll see you guys next week.
1: Cool. Later.